Hey everybody, Angela Bowen here, the host of Punky Power, an unofficial Punky Brewster podcast. Looking back on my Wonder Years, a Wonder Years podcast, and oh my lanta, holy chalupas, an unofficial full house, fuller house podcast. Today I am bringing to you my Dog Days of Summer movie review. This is... I'm going to be covering one of my favorite movies that I watch almost yearly since I was 12 years old and I got this movie as a birthday gift. Where the Red Fern Grows. This is based on the novel by Wilson Rawls. And I actually learned some stuff recently that I can't wait to share with you. So, also another thing, because I had this movie and... In sixth grade, I'm going to say it feels like we did nothing but watch movies and special ed, but um, I brought this movie in. And then in eighth grade, we were reading Where the Red Fern Grows, and I brought the movie in and we watched it. So, yeah. And, and ever since then, I just, it's, this movie makes me feel like, even though I grew up in the country in Michigan, in western Michigan, it just, it just gets into my heart. I've I've read the book. I think last time I read it was maybe two thousand six. Yeah, it was. It was two thousand six. I remember because I was sitting in my car, reading. It was probably like November. It was cold. Was it? I can't remember. Maybe it was. Anyway, so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be going through the movie like I do. If you're used to my other movie reviews, however, I do have the book with me. And I am going to touch on some points in the book that are not in the movie. In fact, the beginning of the book starts very differently from the movie. Another thing, I think I, this would have been, I watched this before we moved to Texas. And I was just on Prime, Amazon Prime, and just like seeing like, okay, what's new stuff? And I stumbled upon this and I'm so happy I did. Dreams and Memories of Where the Red Fern Grows. It's a documentary. It's about 46 minutes long. It just goes through the process of how they came up with wanting to make the movie, getting the approval from Wilson Rawls, the author, and all of that. It is really good. If you have Prime, it is free on Prime with ads. And it just creates such a beautiful backdrop of stuff that I didn't even... I You want to know what else I didn't know? Because Texas borders Oklahoma, and I'm thinking Tahlequah, Oklahoma. There is a Red Fern Festival in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. Let's see. 2021. Here we go. September 10th and 11th, 2021, Red Fern Festival will be held. So it's really cool. It's got. I, I've never been. I would love to go. It's only like four hours away. Jeremy, on the other hand, would definitely not be into this. If I could drive, I just, I'm not about the expressways yet. In Michigan, I did okay, but here in, in in Texas, it's it's a whole nother world with these types of tollways and expressways, and it just we you know been on them and stuff with Jeremy driving, and it just my head is like spinning. It's like I can't. I would love to go to this. It just looks like it would be so awesome. So going to IMDb here, the official synopsis. 
Where the Red Fern Grows is a heartwarming and adventurous tale for all ages about a young boy in his quest for his own red bone hound hunting dogs. So, let's see. An hour and 37. It came out in 1974. It's got a 6.9 rating out of 10. Was directed by Norman Toker. Writers Wilson Rolls, based on the novel. Dulles C. Stewart, the screenplay. Eleanor Lamb, also screenplay. Let's see here. And yes, there is a sequel where the Redfern grows too. Um, there's also a. I guess if you want to call it a reimagining or um, a movie that came out in 2003, Where the Red Fern Grows was also, I believe, filmed around the same area as the one, the Where the Red Fern Grows in 1974. We do have some trivia here. You can visit the waterfall that was in the movie, Natural, Natural Falls State Park, located in West. Siliom Springs, Oklahoma. I'm sure I mispronounced that name. Grandpa's store in the 1974 movie Where the Reverend Grows is located west of Keys, Oklahoma in an area known as Qualls. It is privately it is a privately owned reservation only slash restaurant serving home cooked meals called Jinsey's Kitchen as of 2017. The building still remains the old general store theme and the wagon scene in the movie is still there as well. The barn and cabin featured in the film were washed away in the historic flooding, oh no, in 2015, on the Illinois River in Oklahoma. While researching for a retrospective documentary, it was discovered that the negatives were destroyed by the lab. Where they were stored, a few prints of the film still remain. That is so sad. There is some Oh my gosh, I love Andy Williams' music in this movie. It is gorgeous. I would love to play like a little snippet here or there. Um, there Must Be Love. I believe that is the one where Billy, spoiler alert, he is actually walking to Tahlequah himself to get his pups. And you hear that song. If I Could Only Go Back Again, that is another song. Andy Williams. Gone Away, that's another song. And Where the Red Fern Grows is another song. I think that must play at the end of the movie. Taglines. He made a promise and he kept it. Another tagline. A boy's greatest adventure begins. A true and, and the last one. A true story of a boy and his dogs. Filming locations. We got Tahlequah, Oklahoma. We have V-I-A-N, Oklahoma. And West Siloam Springs, Oklahoma. Oh, it looks like one of the pictures... Why is there a St. Bernard there? There's no St. Bernard in that movie. I don't know. Um, there is a signed black and white glossy picture of Stuart Peterson who plays Billy... <laughs> that he, he plays... Uh... Billy Coleman! Thank you! Okay, I gotta think. Coleman Stowe! Keep that in my mind because that's gonna... So, yeah, there's a black and white glossy signed by Stuart Peterson. I had such a crush on him when I saw this movie. <laughs> Although this movie's made in 74. <laughs> uh, but I would be born like eight years later. But there's a picture of him. He's holding the sack that's got his pups in there, his red bone coon hounds. And, oh, my God. He actually, I believe, one of these... Red Fern Festivals in Tahlequah. I think he was there for one of them. If you go on YouTube, 
and search out Stuart Peterson, I, there is a scene where he actually talks about... Let me see if I can bring that up real quick and I'll play that. Because he is pretty much barefoot throughout the entire movie. So yeah, I'm going to play this clip of him. He's actually talking about working on the film and having to be barefoot throughout the entire film. And it starts out with him talking about getting his feet tough because you're going to be walking around barefoot on a lot of gravel, rocks, and stuff like that. So here's that scene. Yes, like I said, there is a sequel to Where the Red Room Grows. I would love to also cover that one. Both movies, if you got Prime, you're going to get your Where the Red Room Grows fixed. You got the documentary. You got both movies. You even got the remake, which I haven't seen. I'm a little nervous about that one because Where the Red Room Grows is so close to my heart. It's my childhood. Like I said, I've watched just about every single year since I was 12 years old. I love it, love it, love it so much. So, of course, I always like to read some really high reviews. 9 out of 10. This is from, oh my gosh, this is from like a month ago. July 5th, 2021. Titled Classic. This was my favorite movie as a child. There are very few things in this world that can compare to the love of a boy and his dogs. Even now, as I have grown up, my best friend and most trusted companion continues to be my dog. Another 9 out of 10. Great movie all the way around. I was 8 years old and this title was one of many I got to see in that movie house with my mother. It was a great movie then and it has held up well over time. Even now, it's still one of my favorites. This person gives it a 7 out of 10, a dated but well-made family drama. I don't know how I missed seeing or even reading Where the Red Fern Grows as a kid, but watching it as an adult for the first time was an interesting experience. This is a dated but well-made family drama. It's a simple story that takes its time and does its best to make sure the children that watch it are emotionally wrecked. Strangely enough, though, I didn't cry. I just want a dog now. Another 10 out of 10, a movie so steeped in virtue it's breathtaking, an absolute American masterpiece that enriched the lives of all that had the, view to, had the honor to view it. Timeless, 10 out of 10, I remember this movie from when I was a girl, cried now just like I did then, this is a good wholesome family movie. Okay, we actually do have a 1 out of 10 here titled A Very Bad Movie, this is from 2012. Warning, spoilers. This movie was just horrible. It was so fake, like most of the hunting scenes, it was daylight and they tried to say it was nighttime. It just didn't work. Take the fight scene with the mountain lion. It was just a stuffed mountain lion and was just so fake. This movie was just a waste of time. It was useless and a scar on the movie world. It deserves what dirty rating they get. What in the world? There are a few good scenes, but not many when he got his dog. It was cute, but Billy overreacted when he gently pulled the pup's ears. It was to rile Billy up and it worked like a charm. Billy wanted to fight him after he touched his dog's ears. All around, this movie was a horrible one and shouldn't be watched. It shouldn't exist. The book was 
two billion times better. Whatever, whatever, go whatever. Seriously. All right, guys, I am ready. Let's jump into this movie. I think what I want to do is just kind of intersplice some passages from the book into the movie a little here and there. So we're going to start up. And the thing is, I <laughs> I think there was, yeah, there was another a YouTube video with Wilson R- Rolls, the author. He also did Summer of the Monkeys, also a really good movie and book. And he, that's him narrating. I had died watched this movie for years since I was 12. I just thought it was some random narrator playing, doing the voiceover of adult Billy. But it's the author. And I'm like, oh gosh. So I'm going to play this clip. This movie's going to have plenty of clips in it because I just can't not. So I love how it opens. I love how we get. It's almost like they're on a hill and they're viewing the land that Billy, you know, his his house is on and everything like that from afar. And it's just a picturesque setting. It seems like it's kind of like late summer, early fall with the colors and stuff. And it's just gorgeous. It's like a picture. A beautiful, beautiful picture of Oklahoma. When I was a boy... I grew up in the Ozarks of Oklahoma. My folks were poor, and the parcel of land we lived on was allotted to my mother because of the Cherokee blood that flowed in her veins. Except for one thing, I was the happiest boy alive. But it's hard for any boy to be completely happy when he wants something so bad, it gnaws on his heart and gets all mixed up in his dreams. Here comes Andy Williams singing in the morning of my life. This is such a great opening for this movie. In the morning of my life, I ran through the hills and the whippoorwill sang their songs just for me. And each brand new So, all right, also cast list. We got James Whitmore. He plays Grandpa. We got Beverly Garland playing Billy's mother. Um, (laughs) Blanking on her name at the moment. (laughs) I know that Billy has two sisters, Sarah and Alice. Alice being the redhead (laughs) and Sarah being the blonde. I get Sarah because she's blonde, but where's the redhead coming at? I don't know. Because Billy's father... You know, um, Bill <laughs> Coleman. <laughs> He's got a head of curly black hair. We also have Lonnie Chap- Chapman playing the sheriff. But she does kind of give off a, a, a Marco, uh, not Marco, um, Groucho Marx-ish just with the mustache. It'd be kind of hard to... Because when I see the sheriff in this movie, I immediately... I don't know why... But, you know, um, Lane, I think his name is Lane Smith. He played Coach Riley in the Mighty first Mighty Ducks movie. He was uh, Becca's dad and son-in-law. And I just, I get those vibes. But <laughs> with the southern drawl and everything like that. But if you've seen him in those two movies, he's, 
you know, he, he's a jerk. He's, you know, meh. But in this movie, this guy's jovial, and it's just, it's, it's weird. I don't know. You might recognize Billy's father if you stuck with Little House on the Prairie all the way to season nine, where Willie ends up marrying, uh... A girl named Rachel, and the actor Jack Ging, I believe his name is, was also, let me go to his IMDb, Jack Ging, yeah, he was also in, he's done a lot of things, oh, he was also in Highway to Heaven, he was in, oh yeah, he played, uh, Mr. Brown, who is the father of Rachel Brown, who Willie wanted to marry. Let me tell you, Willie Olsen in season nine. Oh my goodness. If I were a teenager back then, I mean, I already had a crush on Albert, you know, as an adult. <laughs> but, but Willie, mm, cutie, cutie, boy, you grew up. <laughs> but yeah, the guy who played her father in that episode also played a sheriff. In like a season three episode as well. So, oh yeah, it's called, the episode season nine is called May I Have This Dance. So, yeah, the book actually opens very differently where it's a flashback we get from adult Billy. Who, I guess, is working in an office and he hears a scuffle from a bunch of dogs are basically ganging up on this one dog who happens to be a red bone coon hound, which Billy's living in the city at this point. He's an adult. He just doesn't understand why there's a coon hound red bone dog in the city when it should normally be in the country. And he helps nurse the dog back to health. And then the dog pretty much, you know, gets better. He eats food and the dog goes on his way. And that's what Billy... That's what kind of moves Billy into reminiscing about his days as a boy. And the thing is, if you're like me and you grew up out in the country and you're always, you know, outside doing stuff, our house was surrounded by, you know, fields and, and woods and stuff like that. And my dad had owned property that was also, you know, Hayfield, Applefield, whatnot, and there was woods bordering it, and he would, you know, take me into the woods and stuff. You know, there was one, I'm sure I told this on the podcast, there was a time where my dad, I had to have been, like, early teens at that point, he took me into the woods, and he pretended to be lost, and of course, I immediately started freaking out. And I'm like, no, 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 you know how to get out of here. You know how to get out of here, Dad. No, I, I, <laughs> I would not be good in crisis like that. Okay, here we go. I want to read this last page of chapter one. I struck a match to light my pipe. As I did, two beautiful cups gleamed from the mantle. I held the match up so I could get a better look. There they were. Sitting side by side, one was large with long upright handles that stood out like wings on a morning dove. The highly polished surface gleamed and glistened with a golden sheen. The other was smaller and made of silver. It was neat and trim and sparkled like a white star in the heavens. I got up and took them down. There was a story in those cups, a story that went back more than half a century. As I 
caressed the smooth surfaces, my mind drifted back through the years, back to my boyhood days. How wonderful the memories were. Piece by piece, the story unfolded. I like that either it's a kind of a semi-aerial slash crane shot here of a dirt road and you see a red truck traveling down it. You see the cloud of dust following the truck. These songs were written by the Osmonds, but they were sung by Andy Williams. Yeah, it says the songs were sung by the Osmonds and or no, written by the Osmonds and the songs in the movie were sung by Andy Williams. Oh, not morning like M-O-R-N-I-N-G, morning of my, it's M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, like your morning of your life, your childhood, your long past days. And I'm just kind of thinking... And I just blinked on whatever I was thinking about. Maybe it'll come up later. Okay, so we meet Billy. Oh, no. Okay, yeah. Now I know what I was thinking. So when I saw this movie in, uh, <laughs> in 1994, 95, I was about 12, 13 years. No, I was tw I remember because I had gotten this movie from my mom. I guess it wasn't what I had wanted. I kind of hoped, like, because I was already getting the movie Beethoven second. I was kind of hoping like if she were to give it to me then my dad could get me something else. And I guess the disappointment showed on my face and my mom was upset she started crying. And then my sister of course was irritated with me. And oh she let me have it later on in the car. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Anyway I didn't know that this movie was set during depression era. I mean, I see this movie. And <laughs> I, probably, I didn't think of it set in present day 1994, of course, but sometimes with movies, like growing up, it's like I didn't really pay too much attention to the time period. And sometimes I probably did think something was set more closer to present day than it actually was. But yeah, we see Billy. He's hanging out by the river. He's got a long fishing pole, homemade fishing pole. And just hanging out, just waiting for the fish to come to him, I guess. Of course, Billy, you're going to see him wearing overalls pretty much the majority of the movie. I mean, he'll be wearing overalls with a shirt underneath, sometimes without a shirt underneath. I think there's in one scene. Yeah, and of course, you know, teenage me liked that a lot. Um, <laughs> there's also one of him wearing like a flannel shirt underneath overalls. Of course, where he's fishing, there's a bridge, and he sees that red truck. And he sees a couple dogs, you know, hunting dogs, in the back. And he's waving, the guy's waving back, like, hey, you know, everyone's friendly. Everyone's friendly out there. Everyone's your neighbor out there, it seems. But these two actually are from out of town. These two guys in the red truck with, truck with their dogs. Anyway, you can hear those dogs bellering, you know. <laughs> yeah, that red truck is crossing this bridge that crosses this river here that Billy's fishing from. And then he sees those two dogs. They're like white with like some black spots and they got like brown and black in the face and kind of a white line kind of, you know, going down the center of their face. Yeah, that's... Well, I love this guy. He's just so jolly. He's like, hey, how you doing? Waving really hard. Hey, how you doing? Ah. And it looks like the guy's going to be going out to, to Billy's place. So 
Billy hightails it back. I want to see if I can find the duct tape on Bill- the bottom of Billy's feet. I mean, Stuart's feet. Stuart Peterson's feet. You can't really tell too much because he is running kind of fast and he's run- running through, you know, uh, wateriness from the-, the river and the rocks and all that stuff, so... So, yeah, the red truck pulls into Billy's yard. You see his two sisters, Alice the Redhead and Sarah the Blonde, holding two white chickens, which they promptly set down at the first sign of a stranger pulling into the yard, someone they don't even know. And they hightail it up to the porch. And we see that there's a path to the river right near where their house on their property, which I think that's pretty cool. Unless over time, Billy's gone there so much he's just worn a path from the river to his yard. Even, you know, Billy's mom is up on the porch with the girls who Alice is, like, hugging that pole that's, you know, holding up the porch roof there like it's uh, a life, just a lifeline. And Sarah is clutching, you know, her mother's dress. Just like, who? they clearly don't get visitors very often, especially people they don't know. And, of course, here comes, you know, Billy's dad, Bill. Just like, okay, what's, who, who is this? You know, they're friendly with each other. It's the guy gets out the truck. He's clearly, he's not really familiar with the area, and he's just looking for a place to, um... Kind of bed down because he's got the dogs. There's a big... I don't know if he mentions a tournament yet or not. Oh, he does. Yeah. Those dogs are, you know, in the back of the truck. And Billy comes up. He immediately, like, zeroes in on those dogs. Like, can't remember the last time he held a dog or puppy or anything. And, like, doesn't really get that that often. So he's he's definitely going to take his chance. Like, I'm going to love on these dogs and pet them and... All that stuff and just breathe in the dog smell. So yeah, the guy comes out. His name is Ben Kyle. And the guy riding with him is Mr. Bellington. And Jenny is her name. That's uh, Billy's mom's name is Jenny. And the girl's Sarah and Alice. So Ben Kyle says he's up from Tulsa. And Billy says, oh yeah, Tulsa. We got kinfolk up that way. And Ben says, yeah, your Uncle Fred, you know, he, he sent us out this way. So he, yeah, apparently Fred sent him out that way because the Ozarks, that's the best coon hunting in the Ozarks, apparently, is right around that area. And Bill perks up at that, like, hey, Jenny, did you hear that? Uncle Fred sent him, like, and then he turns back to Ben, like, well, how's this business doing? And Fred says, yeah, his... Free feed and grain business, it's going well. As Billy is just like, oh, dogs, beautiful dogs. Not just any dogs, I mean, these are champion, you know, coon hounds. Apparently, Uncle Fred is going to sell his business and move to Vermont, which, okay, cool. <laughs> and Bill lets it be known, like, oh, yeah, we were hoping maybe to make him an offer for his business one day. And I think that's what they do. Spoiler towards the end of the movie, is that's what they decide to do. In the sequel, when Sarah, adult Sarah, is there to pick up Billy when he gets off the train from, you know, returning from the war, 
she says something about, you know, mom and dad and Alice, they're all back running the store. And Kyle, uh, Ben Kyle says, yeah, well, I hope you can do that. You know, it should be a great thing for a family like yours. And Jenny says, hey, you stay for supper. And of course, you know, Ben turns her down like, well, would love to do that, ma'am. But, you know, if we want to get any hunting done, we got to get camp set up before it gets too dark. And Billy mentions there's a nice spot down by the river, the, the river called Drippin' Springs. And he says, with hounds like these, you're bound to catch a, a whole load of, you know, raccoons. And that's where Mr. Bellington says that the dogs are champions. And Ben Kyle says, yeah, they won the coon hunting hop competition three years in a row. Three years running. Yeah, he tells him... Tells uh, Ben tells Billy, he's like, yeah, Mr. Bellington bred those hounds themselves. And Billy says, wow, they're sure fine ones, mister. And that's where Mr. Bellington says, yeah, they're champions. And yeah, and then he, Ben asks, oh, you got any hunting dogs your own, son? I'm thinking, do you see a dog running around the property, let alone two of them? And of course, Billy's like, no, sir. And of course, oh my gosh, the way Ben's going on about, well, ah, oh, such a shame. All this fine land to hunt and no dogs. And you see, <laughs> you see Billy's mother, Jenny, just like raise her eyebrow like, oh, here we go again. Ah, oh, we just got him off this dog kick. Now, here we go again. We're going to have to hear about it for weeks and weeks and weeks. <laughs> the fact that he's asking if Billy's got any dogs, I'm like, Look at that property. Look at that yard. Usually if a vehicle comes up, a dog's going to come running or barking. You see any around other than the two you got in the back of your truck? You don't. Well, then he ain't got no dogs. He keeps rubbing it in. It's like rubbing salt in the wound. It's like, all this fine hunting and no dogs. Like, <laughs> Of course, Billy just says like, eh, yes, sir. And then Mr. Bellington says, oh, well, Miss, uh, ben, we better get going before it gets too dark. And, of course, Ben's like, yeah, hey, um, I guess we should get going. Uh, it's mighty nice meeting you folks. You know, if I see your Uncle Fred again, I'll tell him you all said hi. Jenny is zeroing in on Billy's ex forlorn expression as he's just loving up on his dogs. As the vehicle pulls away, you see... Billy, like, run his, you know, the dog, the, the dog's ear through his hand and just lets it kind of fall, like, <laughs> Howdy. Howdy. You Will Coleman? Right. I'm Big Kyle, and this is Mr. Bellington. This is my wife, Jenny. Howdy, man. These are my daughters, Sarah, Alice. We're up from Tulsa. Tulsa. We got kinfolk live up there. Your Uncle Fred, he's the one that sent us out here. Said you had the best coon hunting in the Ozark. Hear that, Jenny? Uncle Fred sent him. How's he getting on? Feeding grain business, doing right good. He was talking about selling out and going back to Vermont. We heard about that. We're hoping to make him a fair offer for his business someday. Hope you can do it. It sure would be a fine thing for a family like yours. You stay for supper. It's mighty kind of you, ma'am. But if we're going to get any hunt done, we got to get camp set up for dark. There's a nice spot just down the river called Dripping Springs. This wagon road will take you right by it. 
In towns like these, you're bound to catch a pass full of coons. Mr. Bellington bred them hounds himself. They're sure fine ones, mister. Thank you. They're champions. Won the coon hunting competition three years running. That right? Got any hunting dogs your own, son? No, sir. Ain't that a shame? All this fine hunting and no dogs. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> Looks on like, oh boy, here we go. We better get going, Kyle. It's getting late. Sure enough, Mr. Bellington. My nice meeting you folks. I'll say hi to you, Uncle Fred. We'd be mighty pleased if you would. Alright, so I'm going to read a smidge here that kind of talks adult Billy is talking about how he got into this wanting dogs and it just, he even calls it just was like a disease almost. Just this pure wanting of, you know, to have a dog. So, I suppose there's a time in practically every young boy's life when he's affected by that wonderful disease of puppy love. I don't mean that, I don't mean the kind of a, that a boy has for the pretty little girl that lives down the road. I mean, the real kind. The kind that has four small feet and a wiggly tail and sharp little teeth that can gnaw on a boy's finger. The kind of boy can romp and play with, even eat and sleep with. I was 10 years old when I first became infected with this terrible disease. I'm sure no boy in the world had it worse than I did. It's not easy for a young boy to want a dog and not be able to have one. It starts gnawing on his heart and gets all mixed up in his dreams. It gets worse and worse until finally it becomes almost unbearable. If my dog wanting had been that of an ordinary boy, I'm sure my mother and father would have gotten me a puppy. But my wants were different. I didn't want just any, just one dog. I wanted two and not any, just any kind of dog. They had to be a special kind and a special breed. I had to have some dogs. I went to my father, had a talk with him. He scratched his head and thought it over. Well, Billy, he said, I heard that old man Hatfield's collie is going to have pups. I'm sure I can get one of them for you. He may as well have poured cold water on me. Papa, I said, I don't want an old collie dog. I want hounds, coon hounds, and I want two of them. I could tell by the look on his face that he wanted to help me, but couldn't. He said, Billy, those kind of dogs cost money, and that's something we don't have right now. Maybe someday, when we can afford it, you can have them, but not right now. I didn't give up. After my talk with Papa, I went to Mama. I fared no better there. Right off, she said, I was too young to be hunting with hounds. Besides, a hunter needed a gun, and that was one thing I couldn't have. Not until I was 21, anyway. I couldn't understand it. There I was, sitting right in the middle of the finest hunting country in the world, and I didn't even have a dog. So, yeah, it goes on to say how their home was in a beautiful valley, far back in the rugged Ozarks. Country new and sparsely settled. Land we lived on was Cherokee land, allotted to my mother because of the Cherokee blood that flowed in her veins. Lay in a strip from the foothills, mountains, to the banks of the Illinois River in northeastern Oklahoma. And, of course, I went on to say, uh, Mama had picked the spot for a log house. It nestled at the edge of the foothills in the mouth of a small canyon. It was surrounded by a grove of huge red oaks. 
behind our house, one can see miles and miles of the mighty Ozarks. In the spring, the aromatic scent of wildflowers, redbuds, and pawpaws, dogwoods, drifting on the wind currents, spread over the valley and around our home. Below our fields, twisting and winding, red the blue ran the blue, the clear blue waters of the Illinois River. The banks were cool and shady. The rich bottom land clear near. Near the river was studded with tall sycamores, birches, and box elders. To a ten-year-old country boy, it was the most beautiful place in the whole wide world. And I took advantage of it all. I roamed the hills and the thick bottoms. I knew every game trail and the thick cane breaks. And every animal track that was pressed in the mud along the riverbanks. The ones that fascinated me the most were the baby-like tracks of a river coon. I'd lie for hours examining them. Before leaving, I'd take a switch and sweep them all away. Days I called my trail looks. The next day I'd hurry back. Sure enough, nine times out of ten, there in the clean-swept ground... I would find again the tracks of a ringtail coon. Alright. I was hunt I was a hunter from the time I could walk. I caught lizards on the on the rail fences, rats in the corn crib, and frogs in the little creek that ran through the fields. I was a young Daniel Boone. As the days passed, the dog wanting disease grew far worse. Or grew worse. I began to see dogs in my sleep. I went back to my father and mother. It was the same old story. Good hounds cost money and they didn't. They just didn't have it. My dog wanting became so bad that I began to lose weight and my food didn't taste good anymore. Mama noticed this and she had a pop talk with Papa. You're going to have to do something, she said. I never saw a boy grieve like that. It's not right. Not right at all. And Papa says, I know. And I feel just as badly as you do. But what can I do? You know we don't have that kind of money. I don't care, said Mama. You've got to do something. I can't stand to see him cry like that. Besides, he's getting to be a problem. I can't get my work done. He follows me around all day long, begging for hounds. Papa says, I offered to get him a dog, but he doesn't want any kind of dog. He wants hounds, and they cost money. Do you know what the Parker boys paid for those two hounds they bought? $75. If I had that much money, I'd buy another mule. I sure need one. So yeah, we actually get to, in the book, <laughs> there's Sammy, the girl's pet cat. There is Daisy, the milk cow. <laughs> Sloppy Ann, the hog. You don't see these animals in the movie, but they're in the book. So here in the movie, we get to Bill and Jenny having a conversation about Billy, and Bill says, I've never seen anything like the way that boy hungered after those hounds. Like, the way that Billy was just petting those dogs and just looking lovingly into the, their eyes. Just that want, that desire to have something that just consumes your mind. That you can't think about anything else. And Jenny, of course, is thinking of Billy's safety. He's like, I don't want him out in the dark at night hunting with hounds. It's just, it's... Ugh. Yeah, she says it's dangerous enough having him crawl the riverbeds in the daytime. Oh, she says prowling the riverbeds in the daytime. And, yeah, they're basically getting ready to go to bed. And Bill says... He's a country boy, Jenny. A boy ought to have a dog. And she says, well, you ought to have a new mule. So, yeah, they really don't... The only reason they even got that house on that land is because 
of the blood that runs through Billy's mom's veins. That's how they got that house. But other than that, it's just... They're, they're living... I wouldn't even say if they're even living paycheck to paycheck at this point. And, he, and Bill says, yeah, but I, I can't help wanting it for him, you know? He's country bred, Jenny, just like me. I mean, a boy living in these hills just naturally ought to have a dog. And we see, we go to Billy's room. He's lying in bed awake, clearly not sleeping. And you see his eyes kind of dart side back and forth. And you hear those those hound dogs out in the woods probably, you know, running for raccoons, chasing down raccoons and whatnot. Again, like I say, salt. Salt on the wound there. So, yeah, next day we got Billy's dad working on repairing... It looks like something like um, like a, a piece of farm equipment. And it just, it looks really bad and rusted out. And I guess Billy is getting water from the well. And that's where his father brings up the dog situation again. Like, oh, I know you want a dog, but hey, what about this? Um, old man Stanton's collie's about to have pups. You know, if you want, I can get you one. And Billy right away shuts him down like, no, Papa, I don't want that. I I don't want no old collie dog. I want a hunting dog. And, of course, his dad says, I know what you want, son, but hunting dogs cost money. That's something we don't have much of. And then, of course, pff, why he even brings us up. Because you know it's just going to get Billy excited for you know wanting something he can't have. He says, right now there's a blue tick pup outside f- for sale outside Grandpa's store. For $35. And Billy's, oh my, he is like, oh my gosh, can I go see it? And of course, his father's like, did you hear what I said, son? $35. It may as well be $100. We can't afford it. And, of course, Billy, like any kid, is like, I know, but can I at least go look at it, please, please? And, of course, his father's like, well, I guess it won't hurt anything. Yeah, right, you're getting his hopes up. But then again, it's like, even as a kid, you see something, you know you can't have it. But just to see it is, like, enough. Until you eventually, like, I gotta have it. I gotta have it. <coughs> Billy? Yes, Papa? I was up at Grandpa's store yesterday. He told me old man Stanton's collie's about to have pups. I thought maybe we could... Papa, I don't want any old collie dogs. I want hunting dogs. I know what you want, son. But hunting dogs cost money, and that's something we don't have very much of. Well, right now, there's a blue tick pup for sale in front of Grandpa's oh, store for $35. There he is. I'll go see him. What I said, boy, $35. Well, I can at least go look at him, can I? Please, Papa. Well, I guess it ain't gonna hurt nothing. Sure. But listen, you be back here at noon. You gotta fix that fence down the south end. So, yeah, now we get to meet Grandpa, and we see a sign that's on the post here of the general store. It says, Hound Pup for Sale, $35. It looks like someone just wrote it in a sharpie with a sharpie, and Grandpa picks up the pup, and you can hear her. Let me go back. I want to see if this pup's got sufficient water, because I think it's it's clearly summertime. 
hotter than Hades out. You better be having some water or something for that poor puppy. Oh, thank God, water, all right. Look at this giant pail that's as big as that puppy. Like, how is that puppy going to get water from that? Unless they filled it all the way to the brim. Because the top of that pail that's in there reaches to the top of that puppy's head. Yeah, that's gonna that's convenient. Eh, at least they got water. But they also got, like, torn up newspapers. So that way if the dog, like, pees all over, it's gonna get, you know, on the newspaper. And not on the grass, apparently. that this It's like a chicken wire little put-together quickly cage. I love how the grandfather is just so tender and gentle with this puppy as he picks it up and just, you know, pets it on the head. And then, of course, guess who it's going to? The Pritchard boys. The Pritchard boys. Yeah. Um, they're like Ranny and Reuben. That was the, yeah. And the way that the Ran, Ranny and Reuben's father, like, inspects this pup. And you see the pup's got a big old belly, probably full of worms, because, you know, usually, don't pups usually have worms from feeding, you know, off nursing off the mother? And then that's why you gotta deworm them and all that stuff? Yeah, just look at that belly, look at that belly full of worms. But, and the way that the, the dad, their dad is scrutinizing this pup, like, I don't know, $35 is a lot to pay on a dog like that. And of course, one of the boys is like, oh, he don't look worth more than 20 paw. And then Randy's like, not even that much. And of course, it's like the grandma's like, hey, look, I, I didn't set the price, all right? You got a problem with the price. You can go talk to old man, whatever his name is. I'm just trying to sell the pup for him. So my guess is all the other pups have probably been sold. And then it's just this last little straggler here that is like, well, why don't I go and put it near in front of the store? You know, people come in all the time. Maybe someone will buy it. I'm trying to think, when I had gotten that one dog after Elvira, our dog Elvira, passed away, the dog I called Rox, who later would run off, um, yeah, that was through an ad in the buyer's guide, and I remember, I think it was like 35 bucks, and Rox was like half lab, half German shepherd, but he looked more German shepherd than lab. Yeah, he's holding out the pup to the boys and he's just shaking his head like, I don't know. Guess I have a lot to play on a dog like that. Yeah, Ruben says, he ain't even worth more than 20, paw. And Ranny says, not even that much. Why does that dog look like it's smiling? <laughs> it does. It just looks like it's like, eh. Yeah, and Grandpa takes the dog from, you know, the father... And just says, hey, you don't like the price, you go talk to Jed Parker, right? It's his hound, I'm just trying to sell it for him. And Billy comes in just for <laughs> lickety split. And like, hey, Billy, how you doing? And Billy, you know, he gets to touch the pup's face. And she's like, aww. But that pup and Billy are not meant to be because the dad's like, oh, I don't care the price. I promise him boy's a dog and I'm going to get him one even if it's a if it's a poor one. You know, yeah. Oh. And even when they drive away, because the guy, like, he's like, come on, boys, let's get back to the house. And the guy, like, kicks the horse, because, you know, it's still in the early days of vehicles, but, you know, everyone else has, like, got wagons and whatnot. And he kicks the horse in the butt. 
to get it going. Like, ugh, what? And of course, as they're going away, Grandpa says, makes me mad, folks getting a pup, fine pup like that. Odds are it'll wind up being as mean as they are. Yeah, we will see that dog much later down the road. I don't know. $35 is a hell of a lot to pay for a dog like that. He ain't worth more than 20 Paul. Not even that much. <laughs> Don't like the she talks to Jed Parker. It's his, hon. I'm just trying to sell it for him. Hey, Billy. Oh, and he gets to at least, like, touch the dog's face for half a second before... Oh, well, we'll like, take it. Yeah, it's like he rips the dog right that out of no Grandpa's hands dog, and gives him the dog. I promise those boys a dog, and I'm going to get him one, even if it's a poor one. There's five and 25 and 35. Come on, boys, let's get the house. I sure have seen better dogs in my day. It'll be hard. We'll make something out of it. Oh, God. Yeah. Just, I like, cringe hearing that. We'll make something out of it. So, yeah, I kind of, you know, looking through the book here, there isn't anything about Ranny and Reuben Pritchard and get that exchange of getting that dog, at least not from what I can see here. Yeah, and as the Pritchards drive away, Grandpa says, makes me mad seeing folks like that getting such a fine hound. Although I bet more than anything that the pup's gonna be just as mean as they are. Like, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Those are not friendly people. I mean, the bo those boys' dad just kicked their horse in the butt to get it to go for the start you know, moving instead of using the reins. Like, you know, a normal person probably would have done. Even the grandfather even said, and I, you know, when I was 12 and I saw this movie, it's like, the guy who plays the grandfather with the hair and, you know, the beard and whatnot, he does look a bit like my grandpa Cliffman, who had passed away when I was seven going on eight. He even says to Billy, he's like, you know, I sure would have liked to have bought that hound for you, Billy. But, you know, I'm not any better than your pa. You know, I'm just running this country store and whatnot. So more than likely, he's just running the store and just making just enough to pay the bills to keep the lights on and whatnot. And he even kind of like, uh, you know, ruffles Billy's hair and says, Ah, oh, shuck, you know, you'll have your own hounds before long. And Billy says... I don't know, Grandpa. Sometimes I don't think God wants me to have any dogs. You know, I've been asking for a dog as long as I remember, can remember. Nothing's happened yet. And this is where his grandfather tells him, you know, it sounds like you're not doing your fair share. And Billy asks, you know, what do you mean? And his grandfather says, you know, if God had a mind to get you a dog, it'd be as simple as cutting, you know, lard, but... The thing is, that wouldn't be good for your character. And Billy says, I don't want character. I want dogs. And, of course, his grandmother says, well, Billy, you want dogs. You're going to get dogs. But you want God's help? you got to meet him halfway. And Billy looks at his grandfather again and is like, well, what does that mean? And his grandmother kind of laughs it off. Like, what does that mean? Well, you think about it. And Billy goes on to, you know, to think about 
what that does mean and what that entails. Like, like God will help you out, but you do have to put in the effort. He's not just going to magically make something work out for you if you're not, you know, going to put in the effort yourself. Makes me mad, folks like that getting such a fine hound. As sure as I'm alive, it'll wind up being as mean as they are. Sure would like to bought it for you, Billy. I ain't much better off than your pa. Tell the shakes you'll have your own hounds before long. I don't know, Grandpa. Sometimes I think God don't want me to have any. That so? Why? Well, I've been asking him for dogs as long as I can remember. Nothing's happened yet. It could be that you ain't doing your fair share. Well, what do you mean? Well, if God was a mind to get your dogs as slick as cutting lard, he'd be doing all the work. That wouldn't be good for your character. I don't want character. I want dogs. You want dogs bad enough, Billy, you're gonna get dogs. But you want his help, you're gonna have to meet him halfway. What does that mean? What does that mean? What do you think about it? understand what Grandpa was trying to say to me in the store that day. But as a month passed, I thought a lot about what he meant by meeting God halfway. And I was willing to do anything to get myself some hounds. I was just plain tired of all the heartache. Slowly a plan began to form. I'd earned the money myself. The more I planned, the more real it became. And out of the clear blue sky, I realized what my grandpa had meant. My share was to do the work. And God's share was to give me the heart, courage, and determination. So all through the following season, I worked at about every odd job that it was possible for a 12-year-old boy living in the Ozarks to do. Papa wondered where I found the energy to work at the jobs I had found and still do my chores at home. I didn't tell him I was saving for Hound because I knew he could use another mule. Many times I got discouraged because it seemed like it would take forever for me to earn enough money to buy the hounds I had seen advertised. But when I went to bed at night, I could see puppies, feel puppies, smell puppies and even dream about puppies. That was enough to keep me going. So yeah, he finally realized that the only way he's going to get a dog is if he starts saving his own money and working towards this goal. So he starts uh, in the fall like helping clearing out trees and brush and whatnot. He also selling eggs door to door and, you know, 
he's counting his money. You see him, he's got like an old coffee can and just, you know, counting, or baking soda can and just counting, you know, coins into it and everything. So I'm going to read this um, a little bit of chapter three. This actually is how he comes upon, it actually is a magazine ad that he finds when he is just going along the riverbed and some hunters, you know, leave an old hunting magazine behind. So, all right. The dog wanting disease never did leave me altogether. With the new work I was doing, helping Papa, it just kind of burned itself down and left a big sore on my heart. Every time I'd see a coon track down in our fields or along the riverbanks, the old sore would get all festered up and start hurting again. Just when I had given up all hope of ever owning a good hound, something wonderful happened. The good Lord figured I had heard enough and it was time to lend a helping hand. It all started one day while I was hoeing corn down in our field close to the river. Across the river, a party of fishermen had been camped for several days. I heard the old Maxwell car as it snorted and chugged its way out of the bottoms. I knew they were leaving. Throwing down my hoe, I ran to the river and waded across at a place called the Shannon Ford. I hurried to the campground. It was always a pleasure to prowl where fishermen had camped. I usually could find things, a fish line or a forgotten fish pole. On one occasion, I found a beautiful knife stuck in the bark of a sycamore tree. Forgotten by a careless fisherman, but on that day, upon the greatest of treasures, a sportsman magazine, discarded by the campers. It was a real treasure for a country boy, because of that magazine, my entire life was changed. I sat down in an old sycamore log and started thumbing through the leaves. On the back pages of the magazine, I came to the for sale section. Dogs for sale. Every kind of dog. I read on and on. They had dogs I had never heard of. Names I couldn't make out. Far down in the right-hand corner, I found an ad that took my breath away. In small letters, it read, Registered, Red Bone Coon Hound Pups, $25 each. So, yeah, he basically, if he wants to, that's 50 bucks you got to save up. The advertisement was from a kennel in Kentucky. I read it over and over. By the time I had memorized the ad, I was seeing dogs, hearing dogs, and even feeling them. The magazine was forgotten. I was lost in thought. The brain of an 11-year-old boy can come, can dream some fantastic dreams. How wonderful it would be if I could have two of those pups. Every boy in the country but me had a good hound or two. But $50? How could I ever get $50? I knew I couldn't expect help from Mama and Papa. I remember a passage from the Bible my mother had read to us. God helps those who help themselves. I thought of the words. I mulled them over in my mind. I decided I'd ask God to help me. There on the banks of the Illinois River, in the cool shade of the tall white sycamores, I asked God to help me get two hound pups. It wasn't much of a prayer, but it did come right from the heart. When I left the campground of the fishermen, it was late. As I walked along, I could feel the hard bulge of the magazine jammed deep in the pocket of my overalls. The beautiful silence that follows the setting sun had settled over the river bottoms. The coolness of the rich black soil felt good to my bare feet. It was the time of day when all furried things come to life. A big swamp rabbit hopped out on the trail, sat on his haunches, stared at me, and then scampered away. A mother squirrel ran out on the limb of a burr oak tree. She barked a warning 
to the four furry balls behind her. They melted from sight in the thick green. A silent gray shadow drifted down from the top of a tall sycamore tree. There was a squeal and a beating of wings. I heard the tinkle of a bell in the distance ahead. I knew it was Daisy, our milk cow. I'd have to start her on the way home. I took the magazine from my pocket, and again I read the ad. Slowly, a plan began to form. I'd save the money. I could sell stuff to the fishermen. Crawfish, minnows, fresh vegetables. In berry season, I could sell all the berries I pick at my grandfather's store. I could trap in the winter. The more I planned, the more real it became. There was the way to get those pups. Save my money. I could almost feel the pups in my hands. I planned the little doghouse and where to put it. Collars I could make myself. Then the thought came, what can I name them? I tried name after name, voicing them out loud. None seemed to fit. Well, there will be plenty of time for names. Right now, there is something more important. $50, a fabulous sum, a fortune, far more money than I had ever seen. Somehow, some way, I was determined to have it. I had 23 cents, a dime, I had earned running errands for my grandpa, and 13 cents a fisherman had given me for a can of worms. The next morning, I went to the trash pile behind the barn. I was looking for a can, my bank. I picked up several, but they didn't seem to be what I wanted. Then I saw it, an old Casey baking powder can. It was perfect, long and slender with a good tight lid. I took it down to the creek and scrubbed it with sand until it was bright and new looking. I dropped the 23 cents in the can. The coins looked so small lying there on the shiny bottom. But to me, it was a good start. My finger, I tried to measure how it would full it would be with $50 in it. Okay, so just kind of going over stuff here. Let's see, grandfather paid me 10 cents a bucket for my berries. Once Grandfather asked me what I did with the money I earned, I told him I was saving it to buy some hunting dogs. I asked him if he would order them for me when I had saved enough. He said he would. I asked him not to say anything to my father. He promised he wouldn't. I'm sure Grandpa paid little attention to my plans. That winter, I trapped harder than ever with the three traps I owned. Grandpa sold my hides to fur buyers who came to the store all through the fur season. Prices were cheap, 15 cents for a large... Possum hide, 25 for a good skunk hide. Little by little, the nickels and dimes added up. The old KC baking powder can grew heavy. I would heft its weight in the palm of my hand with a straw. I'd measure from the lip of the can to the money. As the months went by, the straw grew shorter and shorter. The next summer, I followed the same routine. Would you like to buy some crawfish or minnows? Maybe you'd like some fresh vegetables or roasting ears. Fishermen were wonderful as true sportsmen. They always seemed to sense the urgency in my voice and always bought my wares. However, many was the time I found my vegetables left in the abandoned camp. There was never a set price anything offered was good enough for me. A year passed. I was 12. I was over the halfway mark. I had $27.46. My spirits soared. I worked harder. Another year crawled by, and then the great day came. The long, hard grind was over. I had it. My $50. I cried as I counted it over and over. So yeah, two years it took him to save that money. So if you think about it, it's almost like 25 bucks a year. Which, I mean, and the fact that that determination, he never spent it. He never like, oh, I'll get some candy at Grandpa's store and just, you know, put money in when I earn it. No, he kept 
on and kept saving and counting money and just going to it. That is dedication to a goal that he is seeing through. So now here we have Billy. He's got his baking powder white can. He's got a red handkerchief that holds, you know, dollar bills and a lot of coins. And his grandfather, because he's presenting it, you know, on the counter, and his grandfather's just like, Blazes, where did you get all that money? And Billy says, I saved it, Grandpa, so I could buy two home pups. And Billy pulls the ad out, which I'm kind of thinking after a couple years, because even, you know, his grandfather asks him, like, how long have you been saving this? And Billy says, a long time. He pulls the ad out and asks, will you order them for me? And I'm just thinking after two years, would they, that breeder still be in business? Would they still be breeding, you know, the dogs? I mean, after two years. What if they're like, they call them up like, oh, well, no, we don't do that anymore. Like, oh, we've gotten out of the coonhound breeding business now. We're breeding like, uh mastiffs or something to that effect or border collies or whatever. Billy says, I did what he said, Grandpa. You know, about meeting God halfway. Well, he's the one that helped me. And as his grandfather's kind of holding the bills up and counting them, he asks Billy, he says, does your papa know you have all this? And Billy shakes his head and says, Grandpa, papa could use a mule real bad, but I want those hounds real bad too. And his grandmother says, you know, that is, you know, that's a, you've been wrestling with this problem for quite a while, huh? Billy, the way that he looks at his grandfather, just like, asking, like, because it just, it does feel like his mind is kind of divided. Like, he wants this one thing. He worked two years to get his dogs, but this whole time he knows his dad's mule is like about ready to be put out to pasture. Like he really could use a replacement, because you know his his dad don't get a tractor. That the mule and the farm equipment is his tractor. So he asks his grandfather. He says, "Am I doing right, Grandpa?" And his grandfather takes off his glasses and said, "Oh, Billy, there is no one in the world that's got the right to make that decision, but you." So, and Billy and his grandfather look at each other, and finally Billy pushes that handkerchief with the money on it towards his grandfather. And his grandfather says, his grandpa says, well, but one side wrestles the other, only one side could win. And he goes and he balls up the money in the handkerchief and goes over to put it in the register. And he looks at Billy and says, Billy, that's your money there. You earned it. You know, you worked hard for that money. And he says, you want them dogs? You're going to get those dogs, but damn. Be damn. And he gives Billy some jerky. So, of course, yeah, his grandfather can place the order, but uh, it's not just, they're not just going to come the next weekend. Like, oh my goodness gracious. Like, you thought two years of waiting was bad? <laughs> Try another, like, three weeks. Oh, <laughs> Well, Blaze, did you get all that? I 
saved it, Grandpa, so I can buy two hound pups. Will you order them for me? Well, how long have you been saving this? A long time. I did what you said, Grandpa. You know, about meeting God halfway. He's the one that helped me. Papa know you got all in? Grandpa? Papa needs a new mule real bad. I want those dogs real bad, too. Been wrestling this problem for some time, ain't you? <laughs> I'm doing right, Grandpa. Oh, Billy. There ain't no person on this earth got a right to make that decision. Except you. <laughs> well, see, when one side wrestles another side, only one side can win. Billy, that's your money. You earned it. You worked hard. You want them dogs? You can get them dogs. Be damn. Be damn. So, in the way that Billy was looking at his grandfather, it's almost like Billy felt like he was asking permission. Like, I, even though he saved up that money for two years... And he knows, it's like, it's a moral dilemma. Like, he knows his dad could use another mule, but it's like, this is something he worked for and just dreamed and obsessed over for two years. It's almost like he's asking his grandfather permission, like, is it okay for me to do this? It's almost like, it almost feels like, Grandpa, please tell me I'm right in doing this, this one thing that I want, even though I know that... I could be helping, you know, my dad get a new mule and everything like that. And his grandfather's like, Billy, nobody has the right to make that decision. I can't make that decision for you. That's something you have to, you have to do that on your own. So, of course, we go to Billy trying to sleep and we do see a countdown on the calendar. It's already been almost two weeks and he keeps going to Grandpa's store to see if, Yo, the dogs have showed up yet. Like, are they here? Are they here? Alright, so the next part I'm going to read is when Billy takes his little coffee can, his little uh, baking powder can to the store. Let's see. Early the next morning, with a can jammed deep in the pocket of my overalls, I flew to the store. As I trotted along, I whistled and sang. I felt as big as the tallest mountain in the Ozarks. Arriving at my destination, I saw two wagons were tied up at the hitching rack. I knew some farmers had come to the store, so I waited until they left. As I walked in, I saw my grandfather behind the counter, tugging and pulling. I worked the can out of my pocket and dumped it out in front of him and looked up. Grandpa was dumb dumbfounded. He tried to say something, but it wouldn't come out. He looked at me and he looked at the pile of coins. Finally, in a voice much louder than he ordinarily used, he asked, Where did you get all this? I told you, Grandpa. 
I said. I was saving my money so I could buy two hound pups, and I did. You said you would order them for me. I've got the money, and now I want you to order them. Grandpa stared at me over his glasses and then back at the money. How long have you been saving this? He asked. A long time, Grandpa. How long? He asked. I told him. Two years? His mouth flew open, and in a loud voice he said, Two years? I nodded my head. The way my grandfather stared at me made me uneasy. I was on needles and pins. Taking his eyes from me, he glanced back at the money. He saw the faded yellow piece of paper sticking out from the coins. He worked it out and asked, asking as he did, What's this? I told him it was the ad, telling where to order my dogs. He read it, turned it over, and glanced at the other side. I saw the astonishment leave his eyes and the friendly old grandfather look come back. I felt much better. Dropping the paper back on the money, he turned, picked up an old turkey feather duster, and started dusting where there was no dust. He kept glancing at me out of the corner of his eye as he walked slowly to the other end of the store, dusting here and there. He put the duster down, came from behind the counter, and walked walked up to me. Laying a friendly old work calloused hand on my head, he changed the conversation altogether, saying, Son, you need a haircut. I told him I didn't mind. I didn't like my hair short. Flies and mosquitoes bothered me. (laughs) Billy, I hear you there, right? He glanced down at my bare feet and asked, How come your feet are cut and scratched like that? I told him it was pretty tough picking blackberries barefoot. He nodded his head. It was too much for my grandfather. He turned and walked away. I saw the glasses come off and the old red handkerchief come out. I heard the good excuse of blowing his nose. He stood for several seconds with his back toward me. When he turned around, I noticed his eyes were moist. In a quavering voice, he said, Well, son, it's your money. You worked for it, and you worked hard. You got it, honestly, and you want some dogs. We're going to get those dogs. Be damned. Be damned. That was as near as I ever came to hearing my grandfather curse, if you can call it cursing. He walked over and picked up the ad again, asking, Is this two years old, too? I nodded. Well, the first thing we have to do is write this outfit. There may not even be a place like this in... There may not even be a place like this in Kentucky anymore. After all, a lot of things can happen in two years. Seeing that, I was worried. He said, No. You go on home. I'll write to these kennels, and I'll let them know when I get an answer. If we can't get the dogs there, we can get them someplace else. And I don't think, if I were you, I'd let my pa know anything about this right now. I happen to know he wants to buy that red mule for old, from old man Potter. I told him I wouldn't, and turned to leave the store. As I reached the door, my grandfather said in a loud voice, Say, it's been a long time since you've had any candy hasn't it? I nodded my head. He asked, how long? I told him, a long time. Well, he said, we'll have to do something about that. Walking over behind the counter, he reached out and got a sack. I noticed it wasn't one of the nickel sacks. It was one of the quarter kind. My eyes never left my grandfather's hand. Time after time, it dipped in and out of the candy counter. Peppermint sticks, jawbreakers, Whorehound and gumdrops. Okay, what is whorehound? I don't know what that is. 
<laughs> but if the jawbreaker was anything like those giant ones that I had one of those giant ones and eventually I had to throw it away. It's like your tongue from licking that jawbreaker, your tongue does get my tongue got tired. Like, okay, I gotta say my tongue is sore. The muscles in my tongue are sore from licking this giant jawbreaker. <laughs> the sack bulged. So did my eyes. Handing the sack to me, he said, here. First big coon you catch with those dogs, you can pay me back. I told him I would. On my way home with a jawbreaker and one of... Okay, this is might be like the small, like, gobstopper type jawbreakers because he's got it in his mouth. And a piece of whorehound and the other... I don't, I don't have to look up what that is. I skipped and hopped, making myself... Or making half an effort to try to whistle and sing. I couldn't for the candy. I had the finest grandpa in the world. And I was the happiest boy in the world. I wanted to share my happiness with my sisters. But decided not to say anything about ordering the pups. Arriving home, I dumped the sack of candy out on the bed. Six little hands helped them. Okay, so there is a third sibling. I think he's got three sisters instead of two, which are in the movie. I was well repaid by the love and adoration I saw in the wide blue eyes of my three sisters. Okay. So, we know Sarah and Alice. So, what would the third sister's name be? I wonder. Because, like I said, I read this back in 2006. So, I can't even begin to remember. So, of course, adult Billy says, you know, I don't know much about those weeks of waiting. But I just know how sick and nervous I felt. The way that Billy is tossing and turning in his sleep, it just almost looks like he's like sick or something. He says, you know, I couldn't eat or sleep and Mama was real worried because we see Billy go to the store and all Grandpa does is shake his head and Billy, he doesn't even go into the store, he just pops his head in to the screen door and his grandfather just shakes his head and Billy's like, dang. Well, it's not like it's where it is now where you place an order, you get an email saying it ships, and then you have a tracking email that lets you track the shipment. It's like, hey, you place the order, and then it gets there when it gets there. I don't know what to tell you. You can't hurry them along. You can't call some customer service up to complain, where's my package? I ordered blah, blah, blah. The tracking says blah, 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 or something. You can't do that back then. Billy actually does go inside the store. Okay. And his grandpa just shakes his head as he's putting apples in a bag for a customer. So, of course, I don't know whether it's been three weeks or not, but... <laughs> yeah. His dad rolls up in the horse and buggy and says, you know, he's got feet on the back of his truck and Billy, who's like, doing whatever with a pitchfork and some hay. He says, hey, Papa, you want me to help you with that feed? And, you know, his dad says, oh, I got I got this, don't worry. Uh, I was up by Grandpa's store and he said he had something for you? You know, I told him, you know, maybe you would get to it. And he can't even finish that sentence because Billy is just already across the field. So, of course, Billy <laughs> runs into Grandpa's store while he's helping customers. And Billy is literally like he's got ants in his pants. He's so excited. But, you know, Grandpa's got to finish up with his customer. He's got to get the tonic for him and then send him on his way. Send the couple on their way with their groceries. 
Billy literally gets in his grandfather's face across the counter. He's like, did it come? Did it come? And I love how his grandfather just plays in. It's like, did what? Did, did what come? What? It's like, Grandpa, seriously. He's like, oh, yeah, where did I put that? It's like a ticket or something that he hands to Billy. And Billy, like, rips it out of his grandpa's hand. Like, Grandpa, where are they? And his grandfather says, Tahlequah. And Billy is complaining, like, Tahlequah, that's halfway down the river. Okay, hot, halfway down the river. So what is that, like, 30 plus miles, 20 miles, 15 miles? I, it's, it's too far away. You may as well just tell Billy they're at the North Pole. That's how close they are. Because <laughs> he just, it's like, well, why didn't they come here? And his grandfather says, well, because the mail buggy don't deliver dogs. That's why. Yeah, Billy is just making a big deal. Like, oh, dang it, Tahlequah, really? Oh, my gosh, I may as well be at the North Pole. And, of course, his father, grandfather's like, hey, don't get so excited. I already talked to Jim Henson. He's going in on Saturday. He will be glad to take you. And, of course, again, Billy has just, he's been waiting three weeks for this. And he's like, Saturday? What? And his grandfather's like, hey, you've waited all this time. Surely a few more days are not going to hurt. He goes to his grandfather. <laughs> goes and gets some beef jerky. He says, here you go. Chew on this and stand on your head. And maybe it'll help you out. Or maybe it'll calm your nerve. Billy gets $10 back. Oh, happy day. I mean, hello. He's getting his dogs. He's got $10. And Billy, like, looks at, like, $10. What is this for? And his grandfather says, well, the price of everything's going down, including Hound. Now, that's your change. Like, dude! <laughs> He's already complaining about this and that, and now you're going to complain because you got $10 back? I'm like, sweetness! And $10! If this was, like, what, the 20s or 30s or what? The, right after the automobile coming out or whatever? Dude! Ten dollars, man. That's like forty dollars. I don't, I don't know what the inflation is, but I'd be like, oh, sweetness, yes, that is a that is a red. That is an awesome, awesome day. That is an awesome day. I mean, you're getting your dogs. You got your ten bucks. You can do whatever with, it, and that's his money. He can do whatever he wants with it. He's got to wait a whole week. Okay, so that must be Saturday. It's like, oh my goodness. Dude, I get it. His grandfather even says, it's like, you've waited all this time. Surely a few more days ain't going to hurt you. Oh, got some Hey, Billy. Now we get tonic. There we are, tonic. There you are, folks. I think that does it. I'll put it all down. We almost put it on credit. Good night. Did he come? Did he come? Huh? What comes? Oh, wait a minute. I believe something did come, Billy. Yeah, where'd that put that thing? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I believe it is. Yes. Here it is. Where are they? Tahlequah. Tahlequah? Yeah. Doggone. That's halfway down the river. Why didn't they come here? Mail buggy don't deliver dogs. Dog, don't get so excited. I already talked to Jim Hedges. He's going in on Saturday. Be glad to take you. Jim Saturday. Now look here. You just chew on one of these and stand on your head and well, it'll calm your nerves. Oh, wait a minute. I believe this might help soon. Ten 
$10. What's that for? The price of everything's going down these days, including Han. That's your change. Holy! <laughs> You've waited all this time. Now, surely a few more days ain't gonna hurt. How hard is that beef jerky that he's gotta, like, yank it out of his mouth? I mean, it's like the way he gr grabs at it with his teeth. It's like he's chomping on a Slim Jim. Like, snapping to a Slim Jim. You know, that kind of thing. It's like, dude, it's beef jerky. Unless it's been sitting, unless it's been sitting there a while, you know, stuff gets hard after a while. So kind of speaking of jerky here, um, and this is a brand that I discovered years ago when I lived in Grand Rapids, or Muskegon, one of them, <laughs> uh, Wild Bills. They used to make, you know, they still make bacon jerky, but the kind that I loved, it was maple glazed bacon jerky. So Jeremy and I, we go on drives, we go to, I love going to convenience stores, you know, uh, gas station stores and seeing different things that they have that normally you wouldn't find in a grocery store. So I came upon Wild Bills. However, if you listen to my podcast, you probably heard me mention the Arby's Pork Belly Sandwich. Well, I have a package here of Wild Bills Smoked, Cured, and Seasoned Pork Belly Bites, a.k.a. Burnt Ends, made with 100% real bacon. i check the expiration date. So it's Best Buy 128.22. I've been having issues lately with convenience stores. They don't check their out dates on a few things because I, um, again, I really like those key, Keebler PB&J, you know, cracker things. And I hadn't seen those in years, so I excitedly got one only to bite into it and realize it was stale as no tomorrow, so... Quinny, you're not getting any. No, baby. Not for you. You got your kitty food over there. Woo! You smell that. Woo! Okay, let's see how this goes. Mmm. Mmm. It's probably gonna give me diarrhea, but... Mmm. It's okay. I'm not happy. The pork belly bites, they're okay. They're okay. I don't know if I get them again. I mean, they're not hard or anything. It's like you bite into them and it's nice and, um, nice and tender. Look at me doing a food review on this, uh, podcast episode. No! no. Quinny, you can't have any! Stay down, you're gonna mess things up. I gotta put this away, otherwise she's gonna jump back on the table again. So, so now I'm going to read about Billy going to his grandfather and finding out that the dogs are not there. They're not going to be, they're not going to wind up. Can you imagine if the mail buggy did deliver the dogs to his house? How is he explaining that? Like, wow, son, where'd you get these dogs from? You know, I told you. We, we can't have, do well, they didn't say they can't have dogs there. They just said we can't afford them. So, yeah, okay. Grandpa told me the letter had come. The kennels were still there and they had dogs for sale. He said he made the mail buggy wait while he made out the order and another thing. The dog market had gone downhill. The prices of dogs had dropped $5. He handed me a $10 bill. Oh, cool. 
No, there's still one stump in the way, he said. The male buggy can't carry things like dogs, so they'll come as far as the depot at Tahlequah, but you'll get the notice here because I ordered them in your name. I thanked my grandfather with all my heart and asked him how long I'd have to wait for the notice. He said, I don't know, but it shouldn't take more than a couple weeks. I asked how I was going to get my dogs out from Tahlequah. Well, there's always someone going in, he said, and you could ride with them. So here we do get a shot of <laughs> Billy at the table. It looks like the kids are homeschooled because they're way out in the country where school bus ain't going to be able to pick him up. Which, I mean, vehicles were just invented, so I don't think they had a thing of school buses back then. I don't know. When I was young, I oh, it's like... When his mother says, I want you to finish the sums, which are basically math problems in a book. Why did, why did I think like he was like helping them with their bills or something? Or I don't know why. It was weird. But here is the instance of the story that we learn about the little uh, Native American boy and girl were lost in a blizzard and froze to death. And the next spring when they were found, a beautiful red fern was growing between their bodies. That's a story that Sarah tells. And her mother's surprised. Like, oh, I can't believe you you knew that story so well. Because she draws a picture. Alice draws a picture of a flower. And then Sarah draws a picture of a red fern. And then she proceeds to tell the story. And her mother, Jenny, is so surprised. Like, oh, I didn't know that you knew that story so well. And Sarah says, well, Grandpa tells it to me all the time. And I believe it, too. Well, Billy is doing the math problems in his math book. That he's holding the ticket to the depot to Tahlequah. Oh, okay. Now that's lovely. It's a baby, Mama. <laughs> oh, it's a baby, not a flower. Well. <laughs> Look mine, Mama. Oh, now, nice, Sarah, that's very good. Well? That's... That's beautiful, Sarah. <laughs> you didn't even say anything about Alice's picture. Would you like to tell us how this means love? It's a red fern, Mama. Red fern? What's that got to do with love? Alice, do you mean to tell me you've forgotten the old Indian legend about the red fern? Well, that's a symbol of the strongest kind of love. Remember, Alice, how the little Indian boy and girl were lost in a blizzard and froze to death? And the next spring, when they were found, a beautiful red fern was growing between their bodies. I didn't know you knew that story so well. Grandpa tells it to me all the time, and I believe it, too. <clears throat> Come on. It's getting late. It's time for bed. Billy, I want you to finish the song. They all look like either subtraction or addition problems. So, Billy is not going to wait a week or a few more days to ride in with Jim, whatever his name is. No, he's going to go himself. It's like, I know it's halfway down the river, but I'm going to go my... And of course, it's like he doesn't want his parents to find out, so he's going to sneak away in the dead of night when everyone's asleep. Of course, while he's getting, you know, food and whatnot in this sack, because, you know, 
it's going to take, what, a day or whatever to get there. And, you know, he's most likely going to need something to eat, sustenance and whatnot and whatever. So he's gathering stuff. Here comes Sarah. Like, what are you doing, Billy? And he's like, no, no, like you're going <laughs> to. It looks like it's almost like a built-in bread box or something in the uh, uh, above the oven because he pulls out a little bit of cornbread. He proceeds to put all this stuff in a corn... I almost said a corn sack. No, he puts it in a cloth sack. Is that cheesecake? No, that's not cheesecake. It's... I think it's like bread or something. Just regular bread that he's cutting a slice off. This is clearly back in the day when you had to go outside to go to the bathroom. You had to have an outhouse because you didn't have indoor plumbing or whatever. At least they didn't. And, oh, Sarah's like, that bladder's telling her it's time to wake up and, you know. <laughs> and she walks into the kitchen and sees Billy just helping himself to food and whatnot. He's got a couple apples he's putting in there, too. So she comes out, rubbing the sleep out of her eyes. And she's like, where are you going, Billy? Like, she couldn't be more louder if she tried. She's, like, not only going to wake up the whole house, but she's going to wake up the dead as well. And then she starts to, oh, he's like, Shh, not so loud. And she asks again, but where are you going? He's like, okay, I'll tell you, but you have to keep it a secret, okay? And he says, I'm going to Tahlequah. And she's like, Tahlequah? And then she's like, why are you going to Tahlequah? And he says, to bring back a surprise. <laughs> Sarah's hair and Billy's hair are so similar, not just in blonde coloring, but the shape of their their hair. I mean, that's just the 70s for, for boys was kind of like, a, you know, almost like a little kind of Dutch boyish kind of hair haircut thing going on. If you've seen Little House on the Prairie, that show took place in mid 70s to all the way to the 80s. Like, you could tell the hairstyles. And he he's making her promise, like, promise you won't say anything to Mama or Papa or anybody. And Sarah says, oh, do you want me to spit and hope to die? And he looks at her just like, no. No. <laughs> oh, he grabs what looks like a potato sack made of, um, all that scratchy material. Like a feed sack. And she asks, like, what's that for? And he says, Bring back the surprise in. He says, remember, not a word, and I'll bring you back a treat. He opens the door to go out, and he looks at her and says, now go back to bed. Oh, <laughs> I love how she goes to bed, because she and Alice share a bed, her older sister. And she says, Alice, I got a secret, but don't ask me to tell you, because I promised. Alice is out cold. He's out like a light. She ain't in there. Nothing you just said. Anybody? You want me to sit and hope to die? No. Yeah, 
Okay, so this is right before he gets ready to make the journey himself to Tahlequah. It's like, I'm not waiting for no Jim Hodges, I'm just going myself. <laughs> the day straight by, a week passed, and still no word about my dogs. Terrible thoughts ran through my mind. Maybe my dogs were lost. The train had a wreck. Someone stole my money, or perhaps the mailman lost my order. Then, at the end of the second week, the notice came. My grandfather told me that he had talked to Jim Hodges that day. He was going into town in about a week, and I could ride in with him and pick up my dogs. Again, I thanked my grandfather. I started for home, walking along in deep thought. I decided it was time to tell my father the whole story. I fully intended to tell him that evening. I tried several times, but somehow I couldn't. I wasn't scared of him, for he never whooped me. He was always kind and gentle, but for some reason, I don't know why, I just couldn't tell him. That night, I snuggled deep in the soft folds of a feather bed. I lay thinking. I had waited so long for my dogs, and I so desperately wanted to see them and hold them. I didn't want to wait a whole week. In a flash, I made up my mind. Very quietly, I got up and put on my clothes. I sneaked into the kitchen and got one of Mama's precious flour sacks. In it, I put six eggs. Oh, are you six hard-boiled eggs, right? Not six just eggs that haven't been cooked, I hope. So yeah, six eggs, some leftover cornbread, a little salt, and a few matches. Next, I went to the smokehouse and cut off a piece of salt pork. Ooh, that sounds... I'm getting hungry right now, <laughs> Billy. I stopped at the barn and picked up a gunny sack. I, Quinn, what are you doing over there? Exactly. What are you doing, babe? Being Quinny? Oh, she's playing with Jeremy's shoelaces. What a goob. I'm <laughs> I put the flour sack inside the gunny sack. Then I rolled up and crammed lengthwise in the bib of this. I rolled up and crammed lengthwise in the bib of my overalls. I was on my way. I was going after my dogs. Tahlequah was a small country town with a population of about 800. By the road, it was 32 miles away, but as the crow flies, it was only 20 miles. I went as the crow flies straight through the hills. Although I had never been to town in my life, I knew ex I knew what direction to take. Tahlequah and the railroad lay on the other side of the river from our place. I had the Frisco Railroad on my right and the Illinois River on my left. Not far from where the railroad crossed the river lay the town of Tahlequah. I knew if I bore to the right, I would find the railroad. And if I bore to the left, I had the river to guide me. Sometime that night, I crossed the river on a riffle somewhere in the Dripping Springs country. Coming out of the river bottoms, I scattered up a long hogback ridge and broke out on top of the floor. Okay. So he's just talking about his journey. Gotcha. Okay. This just kind of talks about the fact that um, just his journey there. Because we just see him just walking along like early morning as the sun is slowly starting to peak over the, the mountains and everything. On and on, mile after mile, I moved along. I saw faint Gray streaks appear in the east. I knew daylight was close. My bare feet were getting sore from the flint rocks and saw briars. I stopped beside a mountain stream, soaked my feet in the cool water, rested for a spell, and then started on. After leaving the mountain stream, my pace was much slower. The muscles of my legs were getting stiff. Feeling the pangs of hunger gnawing at my stomach, I decided I would stop and eat at the next stream I found. Then I remembered I had forgotten to include a can in which to boil my eggs. Oh, God. Well, 
So those were just regular eggs that, oh, they weren't hard boiled. Okay. I stopped and built a small fire. Cutting off a nice thick slab of salt pork, I roasted it and when the piece of corn, cold cornbread made a sandwich. That sounds delicious. It really honestly sounds amazing. Putting out my fire, I was on my way again. I ate as I trotted along. I felt much better. I came into Tahlequah from the northeast. At the outskirts of town, I hid my flour sack and provisions, keeping the gunny sack. I walked into town. I was scared of Tahlequah, Tahlequah and the people. I had never seen such a big town and so many people. Yeah, he says the population is 800. I mean, I don't know how many people live in the country where he's at, but I can imagine. That's got to be intimidating. There was store after store, some of them two stories high. The wagon yard had wagons on top of wagons, teams, buggies, and horses. Two young ladies about my age stopped, stared at me, and then giggled. My blood boiled, but I could understand. After all, I had three sisters. They couldn't help it because they were women folks. I went on. Okay. (laughs) I saw a big man coming up the street. The bright, shiny star on his vest looked as big as a bucket. I saw the long black gun at his side, and I froze in my tracks. I'd heard of sheriffs and marshals, but I'd never seen one. Stories repeated about them in the mountains told how fast they were with a gun and how many men they killed. The closer he came, the more frightened I got. I knew it was the end for me. I could just see him aiming his big black gun and shooting me between the eyes. It seemed like a miracle that he passed by. Hardly glancing at me, breathing a sigh, I walked on, seeing the wonders of the world. So I'm going to stop there. You know, I'm going to go on until he gets to the depot, and then I'm going to stop and then talk about... Okay. Passing a large store window, I stopped and stared. There in the window was the most wonderful sight I had ever seen. Everything under the sun. Overalls, jackets, bolts of beautiful cloth. New harnesses, collars, bridles. And then my eyes did pop open. There were several guns, and one of them had two barrels. I couldn't believe it. Two barrels? I had seen several guns, but never one with two barrels. Then I saw something else. The sun was just right, and the plate glass was a perfect mirror. I saw... Okay, oh my gosh! He's never seen a reflection of himself, because they probably don't have a mirror. I saw the full reflection of myself for the first time in my life. I could see that I did look a little odd. My straw-colored hair was long and shaggy. and was brushed, bushed out like a corn tassel that had been hit by a wind. I tried to smooth it down with my hands. This helped some, but not too much. What it needed was a good combing, and I had no comb. My overalls were patched and faded, but they were clean. My shirt had been pulled out. I tucked it back in. I took one look at my bare feet and winced. They were as brown as dead sycamore leaves. The spiderweb pattern of raw red scratches looked odd in the saddle brown skin. I thought, well, I won't have to pick any more blackberries and the scratches will soon go away. I pumped up one of my arms and thought surely the muscle was going to pop right through my thin blue shirt. I stuck out my tongue. It was as red as pokeberry juice and anything that color was supposed to be healthy. So yeah, there's only a couple pages left. Okay. After making a few faces at myself, I put my thumbs in my ears and was making mule ears when two old women came by. They stopped and stared at me. I stared back. As they turned to go on their way, I heard one of them say something to the other. The words were hard to catch, but I did hear one word. Wild. As I said before, they couldn't help it. They were women folks. 
<laughs> Dude, stop putting down women. <laughs> As I turned to leave, my eyes again fell on the overalls and the bolts of cloth. I thought of my mother, father, and sisters. Here was an opportunity to make amends for leaving home without telling anyone. I entered the store. I bought a pair of overalls. He actually does this at... Does he do this? At... I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Entered the store. I bought a pair of overalls for Papa and telling the storekeeper how much how big my mother and sisters were. I bought several yards of cloth. I also bought a large sack of candy. Glancing down at my bare feet, the storekeeper said, I have some good shoes. I don't, I didn't need shoes. He asked if that would be all. I nodded. He added up the bill. I handed him my $10 and he gave me my change. After wrapping up the bundles, he helped me put them in the sack. Lifting it to my shoulder, I turned and left the store. Out on the street, I picked out a friendly-looking old man and asked him where the depot was. He told me to go down to the last street and turn right, go as far as I could, and I couldn't miss it. I thanked him and started on my way. Leaving the main part of town, I started up a long street through resident the residential section. I had never seen so many beautiful houses. They were all different colors. The lawns were neat and clean and looked like green carpets. I saw a man pushing some kind of mow of a mowing machine. I stopped to watch the whirling bl blades. He gawked at me. I hurried on. I heard a lot of shouting and laughing ahead of me. <clears throat> Not wanting to miss anything, I walked a little faster. I saw what was making the noise. More kids than I ever seen were playing around a big red brick building. I thought some rich man lived there and was giving a party for his children. Walking up to the edge of the playground, I stopped to watch. The boys and girls were about my age and were as thick as flies around a sorghum mill. They were milling and running and jumping. Teeter-totters and swings were loaded down with them. Everyone was laughing and having a big time. Over the, Against the next building, a large blue pipe ran up an angle from the ground. A few feet from the top, there was a bend in it. Okay, so he's clearly talking about a slide. The pipe seemed to go into the building. Boys were crawling into its mouth. I counted nine of them. One boy stood about six feet from the opening with a stick in his hand. Staring Google-eyed, trying to figure out what they were doing, I got a surprise. Out of the hollow pipe spurted a boy. He sailed through the air and lit on his feet. The boy with the stick marked the ground where he landed. All nine of them came shooting out, one behind the other, as each boy landed and new mark was scratched. They ganged around looking at the lines. There was a lot of loud talking, pointing, and arguing. Then all lines were erased and a new scorekeeper was picked out. The others crawled back into the pipe. I figured how the game was played. After climbing to the top of the slide, the boys turned around and sat down. One at a time, they came flying down and out, feet first. The one that shot out the furthest was the winner. I thought how wonderful it would be if I could slide down just one time. One boy, spying me standing on the corner, came over, looking me up and down, and asked, Do you go to school here? I said, School? He said, Sure, school. What do you think it was? Oh, no, I don't go to school here. Do you go to Jefferson? No, I don't go there either. Don't you go to school at all? Sure, I go to school. Where? At home. You go to school at home? I nodded. What grade are you in? I said I wasn't in any grade. Puzzled, he said, 
You go to school at home and you don't know what grade you're in? Who teaches you? My mother. What does she teach you? I said, reading, writing, and arithmetic. And I bet I'm just as good at it as you are. He asked, don't you have any shoes? I said, sure I have shoes. Why aren't you wearing them? I don't wear shoes until it gets cold. He laughed and asked where I lived. I said, back in the hills. He said, oh, you're a hillbilly. He ran back to the mob. I saw him pointing at me and talking to several boys. They started my way yelling, hillbilly, hillbilly. Just before they reached me, a bell started ringing. Turning, they ran to the front of the building, lining up in two long lines, marching like ten soldiers disappeared inside the school. Playground was silent. I was all alone and felt lonely and sad. I heard a noise on my right. I didn't have to turn around to recognize what it was. Someone was using a hoe. I'd known that sound if I heard it on a dark night. It was a little old white-headed lady working in a flower bed. Looking again at the long blue pipe, I thought, there's no one around. Maybe I could have one slide anyway. I eased over and looked up into the dark hollow and it, it looked scary, but I thought of all the boys I'd seen crawl into it. I could see the last mark on the ground and thought, I bet I can beat that. Lying my sack down, I started climbing up. The farther I went, the darker and more scary it got. Just as I reached the top, my feet slipped. Down I sailed. All the way down, I tried to grab onto something, but there was nothing to grab. I'm sure some great champions had slid out of that pipe, and no doubt more than one record had been broken. But if someone had been there when I came out, I know the record I set would stand today in all its glory. I came out just like I went in, feet first, belly down. My legs were spread out like a bean shooter stalk, arms flailing the air. I zoomed out and up. I seemed to hang suspended in the air at the peak of my climb. I could see the hard-packed ground far below. As I stared down, I shut my eyes tight and gritted my teeth. That didn't seem to help. With a splattering sound, I landed. I felt the air whoosh out between my teeth. I tried to scream, but had no wind left to make a sound. After bouncing a couple times, I finally settled down to earth. I lay spread eagle for a few seconds and then slowly got to my knees. Hearing loud laughter, I looked around. It was a little old lady with a hoe in her hand. She hollered and asked how I liked it. Without answering, I grabbed at my gunny sack and left. Far up the street, I looked back. The little old lady was sitting down, rocking with laughter. I couldn't understand these townspeople. If they weren't staring at a fellow, they were laughing at him. So yeah, we do see Billy crossing many fields, a field of cows. And now it's like pure, regular, probably mid-morning, maybe early afternoon. And he does come upon the town square. You do see a lot of storefronts. From something that says dry goods or something that says like Brickman store or Brockman store or something. You definitely in this town, you see automobiles more than you see horses. There are like, I think that might be one horse with a cart or a buggy or whatever you want to call it. But let's see, there's one, two, three, four, five, six. Like six or seven cars here. Wait, one, two, three, four, five. Like five, six, seven, something like that. I love how Billy is just walking down the main road here as a car passes him. And Billy just kind of looks at it like, oh my gosh, it's an automobile. Although he just saw a truck the other day. 
it's got to be fascinating because, you know, he grew up, he still, his family is like, that's their transportation is a horse and a wagon. So, yeah, this is going to be like a set. It's got to be something. Well, I don't know because we got kids hanging out here in front of the storefronts. We got something that says prescription. We see a barbershop pole. We see cream and sun ice cream and sundays there's also a feed and seed and baby chicks store and you see sacks of feed just outside the storefront yeah these kids just hanging out just this would be for me considering this would be what loitering is there's a kid just hanging out on his bike just sitting on the seat yakking to someone off screen just walking through this throng of kids. Oh, there's something also that says magazine, candies, and notions. I don't know what notions are. But yeah, these kids all look at Billy as he's like walking down the street. Amazing how these bikes, these two bikes are standing upright with their kickstands. Because you got a kid just sitting on the back of one of these, but just on the seat. And it's like the bike isn't falling over or any of that. It's just that standing, that kickstand. They must have made kickstands that really worked back then. Because I remember how many times I put down a kickstand on my bike and the bike would just like tip over. <laughs> Even Billy's kind of looking back at all these kids with the fact that they're all dressed nicely. So they have like... Like, the boys are wearing, like, shorts with, like, really long knee socks. Is it? Okay, that's a bike. I thought it was a wheelchair for a second. Um, But, yeah, they're all pointing and, like, oh, my gosh, look at this kid. He's in overalls and bare feet. Oh, this is clearly Telequa, clearly. It must be a town that's got money. Because <laughs> Billy coming up here with his bare feet and his overalls. He looks like he's from the land that time forgot or something. It's like he's stuck in a certain era while everyone else has progressed. He's walking along the sidewalk and just everyone that passes him is like looking at him like he's like an alien from outer space or something. Two ladies walk past him with a feathered hat and they're like, oh, well, I declare. So, oh, <laughs> we got the sheriff just hanging out too. As you can tell, he's got a sheriff hat on. He's got a gun. And <laughs> Billy walks past and the sheriff is talking to like a store, you know, the guy who's whatever store he's running in the background there. He's just, it's like he's hanging out like, hey, sheriff, what's up? How's it going? Made any arrests lately or something to that effect. But that does say Brockman's. This is where he ends up getting like the cloth, the, the material for his mom to make a dress and maybe even for the girls and overalls and that sack he's holding you can tell like it, it's not leaking but it definitely has got like um a bit of grease on the bottom like whatever's in there like especially if he's got like salted pork or whatever that stuff is eventually especially if it's summer it's gonna be hot that sack is like that grease is gonna show it's almost like getting a bag of, like, McDonald's and then you start to notice the paper sack is starting to get, like, grease or oil that is, like, soaking up the, the grease from the food. So, yeah, the guy's like, hey, Sonny, can I help you? And Billy, at first he turns like, <gasps> like, he's probably with, with deep in thought staring at, you know, this 
front store window. And he's like, uh, yeah, hey, um, can you tell me where the depot station is? And the guy says, oh, yeah, right over yonder, just across those tracks there. So the sheriff and then the two ladies he was talking to, they're all looking at Billy like they've never seen anyone like him before. I think he dropped down to Earth from Mars the way they're like, Wow, I've never seen a boy in overalls before. That's weird. And he's not wearing any shoes. That's even weirder. (laughs) You live in Oklahoma. (laughs) Oh my god. That is like the... You saw people on Little House on the Prairie that weren't girls wearing like the overalls and whatnot and stuff like that. As Billy's making his way to the depot station, <laughs> he sees a drunk on some feed sacks who's passed out. Like, you hear him snoring loudly, like, <clears throat> I'm on my break! <laughs> oh my gosh. I swear, this is the friendliest man. And he needs an award for the best customer service I have ever seen in my life this is the kind of guy you want at every single job at every single place you go to whether it's a grocery store post whatever because this guy hands down is the best he's awesome guy kind of knows it's billy because the way that billy just makes small talk like and the guy's like yeah uh Looks like it's a, it's a nice day. And Billy says, like, yeah, sure is. And the guy says, you know, it might be fixing to rain later. And Billy says, yeah, you know, got a lot of rain up from my, where I come from. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, where's that? And Billy says, oh, up the river a ways. And the guy, he, like, because you don't see those kids up, up the way dressed fancy and They're not stopping into the depot for nothing. And they surely wouldn't be as nice and polite as Billy is. So the guy's like, hmm, you know, I got a crate in the back making some funny noises, you know, for a boy that goes lives up the river. Name is uh, Billy Coleman. You ever heard of him? And Billy is literally grinning from ear to ear as he says, yes, sir, that's me. It's like, come on, let's go look. <laughs> it's like, it's so cool. Morning. Morning. Sure is a hot day today. <laughs> yes, sir, sure is. Might be fixing the rain, too. We've had a lot of rain up where I come from. Oh, where's that? Up the river ways. You know, I got a crate in the baggage room back there making some strange noises for a boy lives up the river. The name is Billy Coleman. Ever heard of him? Yes, sir. That's me. I thought it might be. Come on, stay back here. <laughs> well, there they are. What do you think of? One does look a little bigger than the other. I think when the boy was a girl. Well, aren't you going to pick him up? <laughs> oh, oh. 
starts going across the tracks who comes around but the boys on the bicycle and they're starting stuff and and the girls too it's like give me a break you never seen some dogs before good grief and they start hassling him i'm gonna read about here where he goes to the depot on arriving at the depot my nerve failed me i was afraid to go in i didn't know what i was scared of but i was scared before going around to the front, I peeked in a window. The station master was in his office looking at some papers. He was wearing a funny little cap that had no top in it. He looked friendly enough, but I still couldn't muster up enough courage to go in. I cocked my ear to see if I could hear puppies crying, but could hear nothing. A bird started chirping. It was a yellow canary in a cage. The station master walked over and gave it some water. I thought... Anyone that is kind to birds surely wouldn't be mean to a boy. With my courage built up, I walked around to the front and eased myself past the office. He glanced at me and turned back to the papers. I walked clear around the depot again and walked slowly past the office. Glancing from the corner of my eye, I saw the station master looking at me and smiling. He opened the door and came out of the plat- out on the platform. I stopped and leaned against the wall. So, yeah, it's like he's walking around the building trying to muster up courage. Like, I, I, I know I need to go in there, but I just, I, it's like he's, like, he, the guy's friendly enough. So, you know, he gave him a smile and everything like that. So it's like, yeah, he, he's not going to bite you. But I get the anxiety and the nerveness. It's like everything's gone good so far that if this guy is, it's, it's going to ruin everything. So yawning and stretching his arms, he said, it sure is a hot day today sure is hot today. It doesn't look like it's ever going to rain. I looked up at the sky and said, yes, sir, it is hot and we could do with a good rain. We need one bad where, where I come from. He asked me where I lived. I told him, up the river a ways. You know, he said, I have some puppies in there for a boy that lives up the river. His name is Billy Coleman. I know his dad, but never have seen the boy. I figured he would be in after them today. So my guess is more than likely maybe his dad to stop in to Tahlequah to the depot on occasion would be my guess. I'm surprised Billy didn't like make trips with his dad to go up there. But anyway, all right. I figured he would be in after them today. 
On hearing this remark, my heart jumped clear up in my throat. I thought surely it was go- I was going to hop right out of the de- right out on the depot platform. I looked up and tried to tell him who I was, but something went wrong. When the words finally came out, they sounded like the squeaky old pulley on her well when Mama drew up a bucket of water. I could see a twinkle in the station master's eyes. He came over, laid his hand on my shoulder. In a friendly voice, he said, So, you're Billy Coleman. How is your dad? I told him Papa was fine and handed him the slip my grandpa had given me. They sure are fine-looking pups, he said. You'll have to go around to the freight door. I'm sure my feet never touched the ground as I flew around the building. He unlocked the door and I... Stepped in looking for my dogs. I couldn't see anything but boxes, barrels, old trunks, and some rolls of barbed wire. The kindly station master walked over to one of the boxes. Do you want box and all? he asked. I told him I didn't want the box. All I wanted was the dogs. How are you going to carry them? he asked. I think they're a little too young to follow. I held out my gunny sack. He looked at me and looked at the sack. Chuckling, he said, well, I guess dogs can be carried. Oops. He looked at me and looked at the sack. Chuckling, he said, Well, I guess dogs can be carried that way, same as anything else, but we'll have to cut a couple of holes to stick their heads through so they won't smother. Getting a claw hammer, he started tearing off the top of the box. As nails gave way and boards splintered, I heard several puppy whimpers. I didn't walk over. I just stood and waited. After what seemed like hours, the box was open. He reached in, lifted the pups out, and set them down on the floor. Well, there they are. What do you think of them? I didn't answer. I couldn't. All I could do was stare at them. They seemed to be blinded by the light and kept blinking their eyes. One sat down on his little rear and started crying. The other one was waddling around and whimpering. I wanted so much to look over, or I wanted so much to step over and pick them up. Several times I had tried to move my feet, but they seemed to be nailed to the floor. I knew the pups were mine, all mine, yet I couldn't move. My heart started acting like a drunk grasshopper. I tried to swallow it and couldn't. My Adam's apple wouldn't work. One pup started my way. I held my breath. On he came until I felt a scratchy little foot on mine. The other pup followed. A warm puppy tongue caressed my sore foot. I heard the station master say, They already know you! I knelt down and gathered them in my arms. I buried my face between their wiggling bodies and cried. The station master, sensing something more than just two dogs and a boy, waited in silence. Rising with the pups held close to my chest, I asked if I owed anything. He said, there is a small feed bill, but I'll take care of that. It's not much anyway. Taking his knife, he cut two slits in the sack. He put the pups in it and worked their heads through the holes. As he handed the sack to me, he he said, well, there you are. Goodbye and good hunting. Walking down the street toward town, I thought, now maybe the people won't stare at me when they see what I've got. After all, not every boy owns two good hounds. Turning the corner on the main street, I threw out my chest. I hadn't gone far before I realized that the reception I got wasn't what I thought it would be. People began to stop and stare. Some even snickered. I couldn't understand why they were staring. Surely it couldn't be at the two beautiful hound pups sticking out of the gunny sack. 
Thinking that maybe I had a hole in the seat of my britches, I looked over to see my re- over to my reflection in a plate glass window. I craned my neck for a better view of my rear. I could see a patch there, all right, and a few f- few threadbare spots, but no whiteness was showing through. I figured that the people were just jealous because they didn't have two good hounds. I saw a drunk coming. He was staggering all over the street. Just as he was, he was as he was passing me, I heard him stop. As I looked back, I saw he was staring wide-eyed at my sack. Closing his eyes, he rubbed them with his hands. Opening them again, he stared. Shaking his head, he staggered on down the street. <laughs> All around town, people began to roar with laughter. Someone shouted, What's the matter, John? You seen things today? I hurried on, wanting to get away from the stairs and the snickers. It wouldn't happen again in a hundred years, but... There they came, the same two old women I had met. We stopped and had another glaring fight. One said, I declare. The other one snorted, well, I never. My face burned. I couldn't take any more. After all, a man could stand so much and no more. In a loud voice, I said, you may have these people fooled with those expensive looking feathers in your hats, but I know what they are. They're goose feathers painted with iodine. <laughs> One started to say something, but her words were drowned out by the roaring laughter from all around. Gathering up their skirt, long skirts, they switched on down the street. All around me, people began to shout questions and laugh. One wanted to know if I had the mother in the sack. Storekeeper stepped out and gawked. I could see the end of the street, but it looked as if it were a hundred miles away. My face, my face was as red as a fox tail, fox's tail. I ducked my head and tightened my grip on the sack and walked on. I don't know where they came from, but around, but like chickens coming home to roost, they flocked around me. Most of them were about my age. Some were a little bigger, some smaller. They ganged around me, screaming and yelling. They started clapping their hands and chanting, The dog boy has come to town. The dog boy has come to town. My heart burst. My heart burst. Tears came rolling. The day I had waited for so long had turned black and ugly. So I'm going to stop there and then we're going to see how the scene plays out. So yeah, now Billy's got the dogs in the sack and he's ready to make his way across a field of land that honestly hasn't been developed yet. (laughs) I don't know what you would call it, but all of a sudden he's standing there getting ready to start walking across to where you know, the storefronts are. And the kids on the bikes that he passed earlier start riding in his direction. Clearly, this is either... I'm trying to... This is going to be set during either summer or a weekend or something because (laughs) these kids don't have anything better than to do than pick on an outsider. And, of course, the ringleader here comes up with... He's got these high white socks. He, the kid's dressed very nice. He's wearing a hat. He's wearing a button-up shirt. And Billy is polite. He asks, would you mind letting me buy? Yeah, and it's not just boys that are riding up on bikes. It's, there's a girl, too, as the kid in the hat, who's clearly the instigator, is like, oh, what do we have here? And the girl says, he's got a sack of dogs. But yeah, they start throwing questions in Billy's direction. Oh, what are you some type of, uh, you in the dog business? And then the, the ringleader, the kid with the hat, is like, oh, yeah, these dogs belong to Rich Maynard. Like, don't know who that is. 
Oh, and he's holding for dog ransom. He's like getting the other kids all riled up so they all start laughing at him. Another kid in a hat on a bike is like, somebody ought to call the FBI. The FBI? Well, okay, so this movie's clearly set around the Depression era of the 30s, so I don't know. (laughs) But I'm sure the FBI had better things to worry about than a kid with a sack of dogs. And the thing is, they're circling Billy, so he can't even really, it's like he's trying to get out of the way. Like, can you, and you do see the sheriff kind of out of focus underneath the Brockman store sign watching all of this go down. So he definitely is like, okay, what's going on there? Because he, he, even with the guy who owned Brock, the Brockman store, were wa- everybody was watching Billy. Because Billy isn't dressed like them, he's wearing overalls, he's got no shoes. Apparently it's not every day that someone who doesn't live in Delacroix just walks through town. I mean, it's just, it's unexpected. Like, well, we don't know who you are. Why are you in our town? I feel bad for the pups because it's hot out. I'm sure they're thirsty. The, the ones, like, tongue just lolling out the side. And not to mention, they can't really move because they're in a sack. Everyone else kids is saying something like public enemy number one dog napper. Like, oh, for heaven's sake. Yeah, they're just getting their jollies off of poor Billy. And Billy's just like, I got my dogs. I want to get going so I can set up camp for the night before it gets too dark. I got pups to take care of now. Yeah, and Billy moves out of, like, would you mind letting me by? And then here comes this other kid with the high knee socks, like, hey, this guy's trying to escape. And someone's like, hey, grab the dogs. And then one of the kids, probably the guy in the hat, goes to grab the sack from behind Billy's back. He's like, I got him. And Billy turns, he's like, don't you do that again. Clearly, Billy realizes as he sets the dogs down along with this sack of food he brought from home. He's not going to be able to get out of this by just walking away. because These kids have him blocked in. So he's like, the only way I'm going to be able to get through this is to punch out the ringleader. And Billy puts, Billy is really good. He clearly, maybe his dad's been teaching him. But, uh, yeah. He's like, the only way to get out of this mess is to take out the ringleader. And he socks the kid right in the face. And then they go at it. And then all the other kids jump in and basically dogpile Billy. And that's when the sheriff comes along and starts to break it up. Yeah, do not touch them. You want to fight, huh? No, but don't touch my dog's skin. Come on, honey. <laughs> oh, here comes the sheriff. There we go. The kid has a gall to stick his thumb in Billy's mouth like an idiot. <laughs> 
Yeah, he starts yanking the kids off of him. <laughs> yeah, he defended him good. Well, they only cost you thirty, really. Since I left, it took me two years. That sounds so good. I got ten dollars left over, and I figured there's some things my family might like. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll tote half that load, and you tote the other half, huh? Yeah, get some water for those puppies so they don't get dehydrated. I love that sheriff. He comes to Billy's defense. He pull starts pulling those kids off of Billy. And it's like, oh my gosh, those are fine looking dogs. And Billy keeps saying they cost him 40 bucks when really they only cost him 30. So 15 bucks per pup. And then he's got the $10. I like that he's like, well, I got pups for me. I got $10 left over. I really would like to get something for my family. You know, kind of a, uh, a nice break. Or like, hey, I got a couple dogs. But I got something for you too. I got overalls for Pa. I got fabric for Ma to make a dress. I got a big giant bag of candy for, you know, the sisters and all that good stuff. So I just, I think it is so cool. And the guy, the sheriff is so, so probably like $40. Well, there's not a kid in that bunch with that kind of money. Oh my God. Well, <laughs> not surprising. It's $40 and it's in the 30s. So, um, yeah, now Billy's set up in the woods. He's got himself a campfire. Of course, now he's got two dogs to care for, so he's not just feeding himself. I'm sure when he was pulling stuff out of, you know, the kitchen as far as what food to take, he knew, well, I do have to have something that maybe the pups would like to eat. So, and it's just so cute how he just getting comfortable with the puppies. And the puppies, you know, they're not wandering too far. They're just, you know... Hanging out. <clears throat> oh, I'm sure they'll go crazy for that beef jerky. <laughs> Once I guess, give me that piece of biscuit. <laughs> Oh, he just scoops them up. And I promise to make you the two best coon hounds in these Ozark hills. And I think it's adorable how he said, you know, he picks him up. He says, and I love how he just sticks his hands behind his head. It's like, at last, I finally got what I always wanted. Two coon hounds. And he scoops them up and says, and I promise I'm going to make you both 
the best coon hounds in these oves are kills. So yeah, he's actually like, I got big plans for you two. And I love how when he sets him down the pup, because Billy's feet are bare, you know, he doesn't have any shoes. Which he, I thought, yeah, in the book is that he didn't wear shoes in the summertime, which, like, why would you? And the puppies are licking his feet, and it's just so cute. <laughs> so now in the book here, Billy's going to go on about the differences between, you know, he does have a boy dog and he does have a girl dog. So he says, I noticed the boy dog was much larger than the girl dog. He was a deeper red in color. His chest was broad and solid. His puppy muscles knotted and rippled under the velvety skin. He was different in every way. He would go closer to the fire. I saw right away he was bold and aggressive. Once he went around the fire and ventured out into the darkness, I waited to see if he would come back. He came wobbling back to the mouth of the cave, but hesitated there. He made several attempts to come back, but the flames were leaping higher by the minute. The space between the fire and the wall of the cave was much harder, much hotter than when he had ventured out. Okay. <laughs> So Billy, you know, he didn't call the pup back. He just kind of watched what he would do. Sorry. Whimpering and crying, he kept trying to get around the fire. I said not a word, just watched. Puppy, though he was, he did something which brought a smile to my face. Getting as close as he could to the side of the cave, he turned his rear to the fire. Hopping sideways, yipping at every jump, he made it through the heat and sailed into the pile of leaves. He had had enough. Curling up in a ball close to me, he went to sleep. The girl pup was small and timid. Her legs and body were short. Her head was small and delicate. She must have been a runt in the litter. I didn't have to look twice to see what she lacked in power. She made up in brains. She was a much smarter dog than the boy dog. The more more sure of herself, more cautious. I knew when the trail became tough, she would be the one to unravel it. I knew I had a wonderful combination in my dogs. I had not only the power, but the brains along with it. I would, so yeah, he's just talking about, you know, he's tired. Yeah, he's been walking all day. So it's like, oh my God. Yeah, his shoulders, you know, were red and raw from the weight of the, I bet. His legs being stiff, his feet sore and throbbing. Tired but happy, I fell asleep. So this is actually the first time that we do see the mountain lion interaction. And it's the boy dog, the puppy, that charges headfirst into this. Again, the hellish scream rang out over the mountains. Leaves flew as my pup left the bed. I jumped up and tried to call him back. Reaching the mouth of the cave, he stopped. Raising his small red head high in the air, he bawled his challenge to the devil cat. The ball must have scared him as much as it had startled me. He came tearing back. The tiny hairs on his back were standing on end. So yeah, this this little this male pup. I mean, he he is brave. He doesn't know what that is out there, but he's gonna he's gonna go after it. He's gonna face it head on, regardless of what it is, because he is a brave little puppy. However, in the movie, Billy's resting. The puppies are tired of being in that sack, which I don't blame them, and they want to go exploring. And of course, Billy wakes up suddenly, realizing the puppies aren't there with him because they've kind of wandered off. And then Billy 
scoops him up, but then he hears that noise, and he sees that mountain lion there just screaming at him. So Billy thinks to himself, because the fire is almost out, but luckily he is able to put some more wood onto the fire to build it up, so that way the mountain lion will stay away. It's not going to attack if there's a giant wall of fire. I mean, we've all seen the Jungle Book. We know that tigers and lions and whatnot, they're scared of fire. And I love how he's comforting the pups. Just saying, it's all right. The fire will hold them off. It's okay. I gotcha. And the mountain, the mountain lion does leave. And I see that Billy's got this large, huge stick. Like, really, like come at me because I'm going to whack you with the stick, mountain lion. And here we go. The official naming of Old Dan and Little Anne. I love this scene. I, I kind of wonder if he hadn't seen the names carved in the tree, what their names would have been. into the tree a heart with the names Dan and Anne. And he's getting ready, you know, putting stuff back into his knapsack. And <clears throat> the little girl dog takes off and he says, Little Anne, get back here. And she turns around and she comes right to him and he is amazed like, God, she already knows her name. So I'm going to read here in the book how he comes up with the names. He doesn't come up with, like I said, he sees it carved in, in the tree. So while I was watching their romping, the thought came. I haven't named them. I went over the list of names. For him, I tried Red, Bugle, Lead, name after name as before. For her, I tried Susie, Mabel, Queen, all kinds of girl names. None seemed to fit. Still mumbling names over and over, I glanced up. There, carved in the white bark of a sycamore tree, was a large heart. In the center of the heart were two names, Dan and Anne. The name Dan was a little larger than Anne. It was wide and bold. The scar stood out more. The name Anne was small, neat, and even. I stared unbelieving, for there were my names. They were perfect. I walked over and picked up my pups. Looking at him, I said, Your name is Dan. I'll call you Old Dan. Looking at her, I said, your name, little girl, is Anne. I'll call you Little Anne. It was then I realized it was all too perfect. Here, in this fisherman's camp, I had found the magazine and the ad. I looked over to the old sycamore log. There I had asked God to help me get two hound pups. There were the pups rolling and playing in the warm sand. I thought of the old KC baking powder can and the fishermen, how freely they had given me their nickels and dimes. I looked up again to the names carved in the tree. Yes, it was all there like a large puzzle, piece by piece. Each fit perfectly until the puzzle was complete. It could not have been it could not have happened without the help of an unseen power. 
Okay, well, it looks like it's time. I can't really uh, drag his feet on this any longer. He's got to go home and uh, show his family what he's brought with him. So, yeah, we go inside the home, and everyone's sitting down to breakfast. And as soon as Billy opens the door, the pups start whining. It's like, you can't hide that you have pups with you. Because they're very, very, you know, they're crying. And they're, they're, they're tired of being in that sack. I can't, bl I can't blame them. I can't blame them at all. Yeah, Billy opens the door wider and he steps into, into the kitchen. And the look on his mom's face is just, I mean, she's not smiling. This, his mother literally never smiles. Like, next to never. And you can tell, I mean, he's got a sack of stuff under his arm. You know, of his stuff that he bought with his $10 for the family. He's also got one you know, in the front of his overalls. And when he goes to shut the door, you can see the pups, you know, their their heads hanging out of that sack. Even his dad doesn't really say anything at first. And he can you can barely hear Billy say, Morning, Mama. Papa. You can barely hear him over those puppies. So his dad finally gets up and goes over to, you know, the sack of dogs. And he says... What are you carrying in them sacks, son? And Billy says, Dogs, Papa. Two hounds. I went to Tahlequah to fetch him. And of course, as Billy's starting to explain, his dad kind of cuts him off. Like, oh, no, no, no. We, we talked to you, Grandpa. Wasn't too hard to figure out where you went. So, of course, Alice and Sarah get up. And Alice, is, Alice says, Are they your dogs, Billy? And of course, Sarah finally lets it out. Billy, is this the secret? And then she says, I didn't say a word. The first thing out of his mom's mouth is, why didn't you tell us, Billy? And Billy, of course, figured, you know, if I told you, I kind of figured you probably wouldn't let me go. Oh, yeah, this is where Alice says, oh, what's this other stuff, Billy? And this is where Sarah says, Billy, is that my treat? I didn't say a word. And he pulls out the sack and says, oh yeah, this bag here is for you and Alice. Alice runs off with it. And she's like, hey! And Billy's dad picks up the pups and goes over to Billy and says, they're fine hounds, son. And Billy says, yeah, I figured they do. And Billy hands his dad the package that he got. And of course, his dad's got to set the pups down. And... Of course, he's also got one for his mom. Like, Mama, this is for you. And, of course, <laughs> Sarah and Alice are picking out on the candy. Thanks for the candy, Billy. Because <laughs> they're having the biggest sugar high ever. <laughs> and, of course, yeah, Billy's dad opens his gift, and it's a new set of overalls. And he says, just in time, too, some, because these other ones are barely holding my butt in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he says, my old overalls are barely keeping me in, so, and this guy definitely looks like really nice material, you know, a nice set of overalls that looks like, you probably would wear them for good first, and then once they start to, the overalls get worn down, you'll probably, like, transition into using them for every day. 
And of course, then Billy's mom is just speechless over the material that Billy has gotten for her to make a dress. And yeah, Billy's dad says, wow, Jenny, you've been looking for material to make a new dress that looks like enough that you can make like a dozen dresses with it. And Billy, of course, is concerned as he goes over to her because she's not saying anything. He asks, do you like it, Mama? Are the colors all right? And the way that she is caressing the fabric, like, you know, she hasn't touched fabric like this in a long, long time. And she says, it's beautiful, Billy. Thank you. Yeah, and his dad says, yes, son, thank you. That was mighty thoughtful. And, of course, here we go to the kids that are, like, elbow deep in that sack of candy. <laughs> Billy said he was looking for candy with mushy centers. I'm just, like... That just sounds amazing. I just think of, like, those soft, like, sugary, you know, gummy-type candies that you bite into and they got, like, a little, like, scent. I don't know. But, oh, my gosh. So good. Of course, the pups are passed out on the floor. Of course they would be. They've had a long journey. We don't know how long it is from, you know, Oklahoma, like where Billy lives, to Tahlequah. He says, like, halfway down the river. I don't know what that is. Is that like a half day's walk? I have no idea. So Billy scoops the sleeping pups off the floor as Alice asks, What's their names, Billy? And Billy lifts one pup up, you know, the bigger one, and says, Well, this is old Dan, and this is little Ann. I love how his dad, like, takes a paw of each of the puppies and says, well, I'd say that just fits them both. And, of course, his dad asks Jenny, like, well, what do you think, Jenny? And she gets up and says, well, I think it's about time the boy had a decent meal. I mean, Billy's been living off, like, biscuits and beef jerky for, like, a couple days. So, yeah, it's time to have some real breakfast in him. All right, so now I'm going to read the interaction when Billy brings home his pups. <clears throat> All right. My bare feet made no noise as I crossed the porch. With my free hand, I reached and pulled the leather that worked the latch. Slowly, the door swung inward. I couldn't see my, mother, my father or my sisters. They were too far to the right of me, but my mother was directly in front of the door, sitting in her old cane-bottomed rocker, knitting. She looked up. I saw all the worry and grief leave her eyes. Her head bowed down. The knitting in her hands came up to cover her face. I stepped inside the room. I wanted to run to her and comfort her and tell her how sorry I was for all the worry and grief I had caused her. The booming voice of my father shook me from my trance. He said, Well, what have you got there? Laughing, he got up from his chair and came over to me. He reached and took the sack from my shoulder. When we started looking for you, he said, I went to the store and your grandpa told me all about it. It wasn't too hard to figure out what you had done, but you should have told us. I ran to my mother and dropping to my knees, I buried my face in her lap. As mama patted my head, I heard her say in a quavering voice, Oh, why didn't you tell us? Why? I couldn't answer. Between sobs, I heard the squeals of delight from my sisters as they fondled my pups. I heard my father say, what's this other stuff you've got? Without raising my head from my mother's lap in a choking voice, I said, one is for you, one is for mama, and the other is for the girls. I heard the snapping of string and the rattle of paper, the 
oohs and ahs from my sisters were wonderful to hear. Papa came over to Mama, laying the cloth on the arm of her chair. He said, well, you've been wanting a new dress. Here's enough cloth to make half a dozen dresses. Realizing that everything was forgiven, I stood up and dried my eyes. Papa was pleased with his new overalls. My sister forgot My sisters forgot the pups for the candy. The light that was shining from my mother's eyes as she fingered the cheap cotton cloth was something I will never forget. Mama warmed some milk for the pups. They drank until their little tummies were tight and round. As I ate, Papa sat down at the table and started talking to me. And talked to me. He asked, how are things in town? I told him it was boiling with people. The wagon yard was full of wagons and teams. He asked if I had seen anyone I knew. I told him I hadn't, but the station master had asked about him. He asked me where I had spent the night. I told him about the cave in Sparrowhawk Mountains. He said, that must have been the one called Robber's Cave. My youngest sister piped up. Do you stay all night with some robbers? My oldest sister said, silly, that was a long time ago. There aren't any robbers there now. The other one put her nickels worth in. Weren't you scared? No, I said. I wasn't scared of staying in the cave, but I heard a mountain lion scream, and it scared me half to death. Aw, they won't bother you. You had a fire, didn't you? I said yes. He said, they'll never bother you unless you are wounded or cornered, but if they are, you had better look out. Papa asked me how I liked town. I said I didn't like it at all and wouldn't live there even if they gave it to me. <clears throat> With a querying look on his face, he said, I'm afraid I don't understand. I thought you always wanted to go to town. I did, I said, but I don't anymore. I don't like the people there, and couldn't understand them. What was wrong with them, he asked. I told them how they had stared at me and had even laughed and made fun of me. He said, oh, I don't think they were making fun of you, were they? Yes, they were, I said. And to beat it all, the boys jumped on me and knocked me down in the dirt. If it hadn't been for the marshal, I would have taken a beating. Papa said, so you met the marshal. What did you think of him? I told him he was a nice man. He had bought me a bottle of soda pop. At the mention of Soda Pop, the blue eyes of my sisters opened wide and they started firing questions at me, wanting to know what color it was and what it tasted like. I told them it was strawberry and it bubbled and tickled when I drank it, and it made me burp. The eager questions of my three sisters had an effect on Papa and Mother. Papa said, Billy, I don't want you to feel badly about the people in town. I don't think they were poking fun of you in any way, not like you think they were. Maybe they weren't, I said, but I still don't want to ever live in town. It's too crowded, and you couldn't get a breath of fresh air. In a sober voice, my father said, Someday you may have to live in town. Your mother and I don't intend to live in these hills all our lives. It's no place to raise a family. A man's children should have an education, and they should get out and see the world and meet people. I don't see why we have to move to town to get an education, I said. Hasn't Mama taught us how to read and write? There's more to education than just reading and writing. Papa said, much more. I asked him what he thought when he thought we'd be moving to town. Well, it might take, it'll be some time yet. We don't have the money now, but I'm hoping someday we will. So I'm going to kind of go a little bit here as far as just an abbreviated version. You know, his mama says she, she prays every day and night for her kids she doesn't want the kids to grow up without education. The fact that they, he didn't even know what a bottle of soda pop is or even seen the inside of a schoolhouse. 
Billy tells his sisters about the schoolhouse and the playground equipment. Oh, okay, so what he thought, what Billy thought was uh, a slide was actually a fire escape. Oh, well, <laughs> I thought when he was describing it, it seemed a little odd. So he talks about the next day how it was pretty busy for him because he made the little doghouse for them. Papa cut the ends off his check lines and gave them to me for collars. With painstaking care, deep in the tough leather, I scratched the name Old Dan on one and Little Ann on the other. With a nail and two and a rock, two holes were punched in each end of the straps. I made them around their, put them around their small necks and laced the ends together with bailing wire. Let's see. That evening I had a talk with my mother, told her about praying for the two pups in the magazine and the plans I made. I told her how hard I had tried to find names for them and how strange it was finding them carved in the bark of a sycamore tree. With a smile on her face, she asked, Do you believe God heard your prayer and helped you? Yes, Mama, I said. I know he did, and I'll always be thankful. What is that? He's eating a biscuit and some black schmutz. Well, I think it's about time the boy had a decent meal. 
Okay, so going forward, we are going to be hitting a lot of montages in this movie. I think what I'm going to do as far as the book, I'm going to focus more on the movie at the moment, and then towards the, once I get done with the movie, I will actually hit things that were not in the movie that were basically just covered in the book. So that way, this review wasn't like four hours long. I really don't want it to be that long. But, um... Yeah, I just want to cover, like, the basis of the beginning of how the book is different from the beginning of the movie and the key critical points of Billy saving up to get the dogs. His, you know, grandfather putting in his head, you want dogs, you're going to have to meet God halfway. And then we see Billy over the course of a couple of years saving money. He, His grandpa orders the dogs. He goes, to, Billy goes to get the dogs. He's brought them home now. And now training commences in these montages where we see him training the puppies with a, he's got a raccoon tail on a stick and he's trying to get them with the scent and everything. And I love how Alice and Sarah are helping him by holding the dogs back until they're ready. So it's, we do get to see a progression of time from the time that the pups are, I'm going to say they're probably maybe 10 weeks here, and then all the way up to maybe they're close to like six months to a year through a montage. Okay, so this isn't just a raccoon tail. It's like a raccoon body, you know, just needs skinned it or whatever to train the pups. We already see in the next scene here is he's dragging that same raccoon hide through the water, creating a trail for the pups to follow, which the pups at this point look to be, I'd say anywhere from probably four months old to six months old at this point. And then in the next scene, we do see him cleaning the dogs off in the stream, and you see the little waterfall off to the side here. <laughs> and you see one of the pups is like trying to like get out of the water. At this point, the pups now look to be between six months to a year old. And we just see Billy going from, you know, dragging the little raccoon hide through the stream, through the forest. He's up in a tree now. And the pups, he's, the pups have definitely worked out the scent. So he's just going through different terrain and everything and all that good stuff. I'm just kind of wondering, like, where he picked up his training techniques. It's not like he went to a library and found a book on, you know, coon hunting and stuff like that. <laughs> he's sitting in the tree, and he's just, with the, the raccoon hide on a string, he's just swinging it back and forth and back and forth. Uh, this is so Tom Sawyer when he's got this raft, this homemade wooden raft that he's made, and he's on the river with the two dogs. He, like, pushed them on each each off, and as they come to the raft, he, like, helps pull them back up by their collar under the raft. So here's another test with the girls. Now that the dogs are much bigger, they got him, you know, holding them by leashes, and it's a little harder to <laughs> hold on, control them, because he's like, okay, hold the dogs so they don't get loose, because I'm gonna, you know, drag this raccoon hide around and create a trail for them to follow so he does and then he hangs it on the side of the house well here comes mom and like oh this kid and hanging this raccoon hide what does she do she drags it through the house and throws it on the wood pile that is by the side of the house 
and you just know, you just know that it's going to be catastrophe because she's setting up to mop the floor. Yeah, so his mom is sweeping the floor out onto the porch because she's getting ready to mop. She takes a raccoon eye and instead of like picking up and holding it up so it's not touching the ground or the floor or the whatever, she's dragging it through the house <laughs> and out the back door. Ay, ay, ay. I'm being honest to Billy. He's like, all right, let him loose. And the girls let the dogs loose, you know, with their leashes still attached. And zaboom, the dogs take off. And here's the mom, hands and knees, scrubbing the floor with, like, a scrub brush. And in come the pups, well, the dogs, and the kids. And, and the floor is just slick with soapy water. And they just slide in. And it's like, get these dogs, get yourselves out of my house. That floor is literally now flooded with soapy water. She had a big, giant bucket, metal bucket of water, and it's now all over her floor. Ugh. And granted, she's doing this all by hand. Ugh. How are you going to take forever to get that excess water off that floor? Imagine the kids are coming in with their dirty, barefoot feet. Ugh. So, okay, Billy is going to go on his official hunting trip with the dogs. And, of course, his mom's worried. Like, I don't see why you got to do your hunting at night. And Billy's dad says, because that's when raccoons are up and around. They're nocturnal. They're out and about in the nighttime. They're sleeping during the day. Of course, before that, you know, Billy's dad's helping him sharpen that axe for cutting down trees and all that stuff to, you know, get to the raccoons. And Billy mentions about how in England everyone's going crazy over raccoon fur coats, which I guess it's the 30s. In New England, not in England. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So his dad offers Billy half of the smokehouse, smokehouse wall if, he, if Billy thinks he and his dogs can cover it with raccoon hides. And, of course, he also brings up, like, how much money do you think, what are you going to do with the money that you get from selling the hides at Grandpa's store? And Billy, of course, very thoughtful, very selfless boy, says, well, you were saying we could use a new mule. And just the look of admiration that his father just has for Billy, he just immediately, okay, well, son, look, this blade is very, very sharp. It's for cutting down trees with raccoons in it, and that's it. Don't use it for anything else. When <laughs> Billy said, hey, I'll give you a, the whole wall of that smokehouse if you think you and your dogs can cover it, and Billy, <laughs> so cocky, says, it's not hardly big enough, is it? Everyone's <laughs> going crazy over coonskin coats. <laughs> so we should be getting a good prize. I'll tell you what. I'll let you have one whole wall of that smoke house if you think you and them <laughs> dogs can cover it. It's not hardly big enough, is it? <laughs> what are you going to do with all your money? Well, you've been saying we could use another mule. Billy is so, he's so selfless in that. It's just, yeah. Well, we should be very careful with this axe. We've got a fine edge on it. We're cutting down trees with coons in it, and that's all. What else would he use it for? Thank you. <laughs> Sure enough. Oh. Yes, it is. It's a hard 
more days, you're going to get hungry. Mom, no need for you to worry. I'll be all right. Put this on. I just don't understand why you have to do your hunting at night. Because that's when coons are up and around. Well, Billy, we're going to get going. They'll be stirring soon. Good luck, son. <laughs> have trailed a raccoon and of course Dan is old Dan is so determined it's like yeah like I'm gonna follow you because the dogs lost the scent at where the river hits and of course the raccoon's smart enough to think well okay if I go in here they're not gonna be able to catch my scent because you see the dogs kind of confused like okay this is where the scent ends and Billy's just kind of looking at him like, come on, you know how to do this. You can't just let it fool you. If, if you let it fool you at this point, then you just, you're not going to be a raccoon hunting dog. Lost the scent. <laughs> I'm not gonna help you. Gotta do this on your own. I'm ashamed of you, little girl. If you let that ringtail boy this way, you'll never be a coon hound. Now get going. Looks like you're the one with the brain, sweetheart. Come on, he's the muscle. You're the brains. There you go. Get in that water. So, of course, the dogs lead. The raccoon goes up a tree. It's like, ay, ay, ay. And it's staying up there. It's not moving. <laughs> so, yeah, Billy figures, well, all right, pull out this axe. Got to start chopping this tree down to get this raccoon. <laughs> and, of course, when he starts whacking at the tree, you see a rabbit. You see a deer, you know, startled. They run off. And it seems like, some, I don't know how much time has passed, but he's got a small dent going into the tree, but it just, the tree is humongous. It's so wide around, and you can see that Billy's strength is getting sapped. You, you know, I can imagine the muscles in his arms have got to be close to dead from, uh, and that, that axe probably weighs like a billion pounds now, and he's just... He's had it. He's like, huh. He just, he finally sits down. It's like, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. Oh, 
why doesn't he just start going at it from the other side? So to kind of clean across, coming at it from the other side, maybe meet in the middle? Or maybe try to attack it from all four sides around? I've never chopped on a tree. I don't know. I just think maybe if he hit it from the other side for a bit, maybe meet in the middle. Billy is like, his his hair is like matted in sweat. And it's just poor. This kid, but he is so determined. This is the first raccoon that his dogs have treed. And he basically even told them, once you tree the raccoon, I will take care of it. I will do the rest. You just get it there. <laughs> we keep seeing shots of that raccoon just like hanging on this tree limb, like hanging out. Like, yeah, thank you forever to cut down this tree, but then I'll be gone. Ah. What's to say that raccoon can't jump from one tree limb to another tree if it's close by? I mean, it's not a flying squirrel, it's a raccoon, but I don't see why it couldn't. Now we see the sun is starting to set. It's like, Billy, eventually you are going to have to stop. But then again, he does have a lantern, so if he wanted to, like, chop by lantern light, he could do that. It, it looks like he barely made a dent in this tree. And, of course, his mom is worried sick because it's like he didn't come home. He stayed out all night. Where have you been? Where do you think he is? In the, you know where he is. He's in the woods. And again, like I said, this is not the land of cell phones. There, we had no way. Plus, if he did have a cell phone, would he really have any service out there? Probably not. So, family comes to look. They they put out a rescue mission. Like we got to find our son. Where's he at? Why isn't he home? Chopping down a tree like this just for one coon. <laughs> Come on, Billy, we gotta go. I can't, Papa. Why not? I made a bargain with my dogs. <laughs> I told them if they'd put one up a tree, I'd do the rest. They did their part, and it's up to me to do mine. Well, you couldn't, and that's that, so come on. Let's go. Billy, do I have to whip you on top of all the punishment you already brought on yourself? So he's willing to take a whooping just to keep going at it. Man can't keep his word, Jenny. He's not much good, especially to himself. That's true. Amen to that, Jenny. <laughs> yeah, they're all against you. Like, no, let him stay. Oh my gosh, those hands got blisters on top of blisters. Gonna chop down a tree like this, Billy. You need a man-sized axe. Yeah, not a beginner's axe. Yes, he should have been wearing gloves to begin with. He should. Swing that axe, I want you to eat these two eggs. Give you protein. You can, uh, share the biscuits with us. Well, we know they like biscuits. <laughs> you know, Billy, I believe every boy have a tree like this to chop down. At least once in his life. So, yeah, they come to find him there. Mom thought he had an accident because he didn't come home. 
And even his dad at one point says, you know, there is no, it's just, it, there's no reason, it's just one raccoon. It's no sense chopping down a tree just for one. If there are maybe two or three, I could see it being an option. But Billy says, no, I can't come home because I made a bargain with my dogs. They said, if they treat the raccoon, I would take care of the rest. And, of course, his mom doesn't want to hear it. She says, well, you're quitting and that's that. And then she even threatens to spank him, to whoop him, on top of, what did she say? On top of everything you've, the trouble you've already brought on yourself or whatever. And... Billy's dad and grandpa say, hey, look, a man's not good to himself. I mean, if he can't even keep his word to himself, then what good is that? <laughs> so she's pretty much been voted out. And even his dad says, look, Billy, if you're going to chop this tree down, because his, his grandpa says, wow, that's a big sycamore. And Billy says, yeah, it's the biggest one in the whole river bottom. And his dad comes up like, look, if you're going to chop down this tree, you need to have an axe, a man's axe, not a beginner's axe. And he even hands him his gloves. I wonder, like, why didn't you get him gloves the night before? Because when his mom looks at Billy's hands, it's like basically blisters on top of blisters. Because who knows how many hours he's been at that. Just bang, bang, bang. So with his dad's axe, Billy actually has made better work with that with that axe. But eventually, he just he has to stop. He says he turns and he, he's defeated. He says, "Just no work, use, little girl. Just I can't do it any anymore. My strength's all gone." So this is where Billy turns to God and he says to him, "Yeah." Billy says, looks to God and asks, "Haven't I done my fair share, God?" Couldn't you just help me a little? And then he stands there, and all of a sudden you start to hear this little... <coughs> and Billy takes this, okay, we need to get myself and the dogs as far away from this tree because it is going to tumble. And it does. It just... <coughs> it makes so much noise because he said that it's the biggest sycamore in the whole river bottom. Yeah, you need to get yourself and the dogs out of the way because that thing is coming down now. Get him out of the way! Get, 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 get! Stay back. There she goes! My gosh, that is a huge tree! And then the... The raccoon takes off and so do the dogs. So this is a really cool setup here. I don't know whether Billy or whether this has already existed, but it's a little wooden bridge thing, a little footbridge thing that goes up through the the forest. And Billy talked about how his mom had made a raccoon skin cap for Billy out of the first 
raccoon that he and his dogs had uh, had gotten. Mama made me a cap out of that first coon hide, <laughs> and she said afterwards that she wished she hadn't made it for me, because in some way it affected my mind, and I became completely coon crazy. <laughs> By the time the second season came around, my dog's fame had spread all over the Ozarks. No coon hunter came into Grandpa's store with as many skins as I did. So yeah, let's listen to Grandpa here brag about Billy, which there's nothing wrong with that. But even like Billy said, you know, his fame, his and his dog's fame, it like spread clear all over the Ozarks. So everyone knew Billy and his dogs, how great they were at this. <laughs> Yeah, and look who's there. Rainian. Reuben. Like, I'm not giving it to you unless he's here. Hey, Coleman, want to make a bet? No. What's the matter, you chicken? No, I don't want it. Yeah. Of course, they're going to chew it right there in front of him. Like, get the hell out of here. Dang kids. grandfather's store he's got to get something for his mom some cornmeal or whatever and who else happens to be there but reuben and rainy pit richard from the beginning of the movie that took that adorable little dog and we're just gonna see how much they just destroyed that poor dog but anyway the kids come up you know to get their order 
And Billy's grandpa asks him, you know, is there anything else? And of course, you know, Reuben or whatever <laughs> is like, oh yeah, give me two plugs of tobacco. And the look that Billy's grandfather gives these kids, like, are you serious? Like, but he even says, well, you're all young for that. And Reuben's like, <laughs> oh, it's for my pa. And I was like, uh, I, your pa ain't here, so I ain't giving it to you. No, no, I'm not. No, they didn't have the, if you're under 18, if you weren't born before the estate, then you're not getting it. I would have said, your pa's not here. I'm not selling it to you. But of course, he does. And what do you know, the boys right away just pull on that chew and they're, they're chomping on it. And Billy's grandpa said, Get out of here. So, Rainy's the one that wants to bet Billy. Like, hey, you want to make a bet? And Billy, of course, you know, the good book says a wager is a fool's argument or something. The good book says something about, you know, no gambling, no betting, none of that stuff. Really frowns upon it. And, of course, they're calling Billy chicken. And Billy's grandpa comes out you know, onto the porch, and it's like, is that all you preachers know what to do? Is just looking for a fight all the time? Just looking to beat somebody up? I'm like, oh no, we're not looking to fight him, just bet him. And Billy's grandfather says, bet him? What bet? And Ruben's the one who mentions the ghost coon. He's like, oh, in our country. Because <laughs> I don't know where the heck. They, they live somewhere in the Ozarks, but they make it sound like, oh, in our district or whatever. Well, they got this old, old raccoon. It's like pure gray, white, old. And he says, no one's dogs have been able to tree it. It just, boom, disappears. So we're going to bet you $2 that your dogs can't tree this raccoon. And Billy doesn't want to take the bet. But his grandpa's like, no, 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 no. Billy, you're going to take this bet. You're going to hold your money. You're going to be holding your, or I'm going to be talking to your paw about that. And he even says, well, you're going to have a heck of a time explaining to your paw how he got charged for two plugs of tobacco he ain't never even seen. So I don't think he cares. I mean, this is the man that shelled out $35 for a dog that he didn't even think was worth $35, so I don't think he cares. <laughs> but, yeah. And the boys leave, and like, oh, I was wrong about the Coleman's. They're not chickens. They're suckers. And Grandpa tells Billy, you know, I don't ask no man for anything on this earth, but I'm asking you to get that ghost coon. So now we're going to go to the Pritchard's place, and we see this adorable dog it's just tied up to the side of a barn with some baler twine. And where you can definitely see a vast difference between this dog, that's name is Old Blue. No, that's not creative at all. Come on, really? Old Blue? Anyway, you see a vast physical difference in Old Dan and Little Ann. Their coats are smooth. They're healthy looking, whereas this dog looks like you can see its ribs, but it's really bulky, almost like they put the dog on partial steroids or something. And its coat looks just really, really rough. It just looks very, very aggressive. 
Uh, like, it's not a dog that you would want to mess with or even go anywhere near. And even Grandpa said, I bet anything that dog's going to wind up being as mean as they are. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want that dog anywhere near me. And Billy just kind of hanging back at the property. I mean, they're, the Pritchard's property looks like hot garbage. Just a, a big barn that looks like it probably use a paint job or maybe new lumber and just straw hay is just spilling out the top of it. It just looks really gross and run down. But then again, it probably rained the night before, so it makes the wood look damp and gross. I think that might be their house way back there. I can't tell. But Billy, of course, wants to have a word with his dogs. He wants to give them a little pep talk. Like, look, I'm really counting on you two tonight to help me out, okay? It really would mean a lot to Grandpa if you treat this ghost raccoon. I'm, I'm, I really depend on you two tonight. You've got to treat that ghost good for Grandpa. Oh yeah, they hate those boys. Like, yeah. Don't throw rocks at the dog, kid. Not the fire. So, yeah, the Preacher Boys, are just, they're ready for this to begin. Like, come on, turn them loose. Let's get this going. Even when the boys come up and old Dan a little, I mean, old Dan is ready to, like, tear them to pieces. He does not, I mean, these kids just wafting these just horrible bad egg fumes. They're just horrible, horrible boys. And, <laughs> of course, Ranny is, like, Throwing rocks at the dogs. I'm like, don't, don't do that. You stupid kid. I'm sorry, but I can't stand the Pritchards. I hate them. I hate them. I hate them. So we keep going back to Old Blue, the Pritchards dog, and we can see that Baylor Twine is going. It's getting loose. It's frames. Like that dog's gonna get loose, and something's gonna happen. So of course we see the gross raccoon is crossing the river. We know that before, this is a kind of a stumbling block for Old Dan and Little Ann, but they've actually managed to overcome that issue. It got dark out really fast. I mean, granted, the boys are running by lantern light, because <laughs> otherwise you just walk around in pitch blackness. and You're in the woods! So I can imagine you want to have some type of visualization, be it a lamp or something because you're going to be tripping over stumps, leaves, rocks, branches, whatever. Of course, Ruben's like, oh, it looks like the old ghost raccoon's got your dogs going back and forth in circles across the river. And Rainy's like, oh, you better hand over your money. So of course, Billy looks up at the tree and figures, oh, well, they got, where did the, go the ghost raccoon go? Because he's not in the tree. And, of course, like, yeah, because Billy's, oh, he disappeared. And the boy, the Pritchard boys are all like, well, yeah, that's why he's called the ghost raccoon. And he's like, hey, pay up. We're not staying here all night. And they're really getting aggressive. Like, come on, give us the $2. Give us the $2. It's 
makes me think of that dang paper boy from Better Off Dead. Two dollars. Of course, Billy gives the two dollars to Reuben. He and Randy get into a argument over it. Oh my gosh. So of course the dogs little little animal Dan sense something like nugs. The raccoon did not disappear. It's actually there's this I don't even know what this is, an old sawmill or something? Cause they start barking and Billy like climbs up there and he sees the go the ghost raccoon up there and it's climbing out of, like, a gutter or, like, one of the, like, overhanging gutters or something. And, yeah, both the preacher boys are like, well, wait, do we got to give him the $2 back? <laughs> because they're like, oh, well, you, like, get the raccoon out of there so your dogs can, like, chase him down or something. And Billy's like, no. I don't want him killed. He's outsmarted every dog in these hills, and I just, I can't kill him. And, of course, Reuben's just out for blood. He's like, oh, I'll get him. And it's like, no, 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 I'm not going to have my dogs, you know, tree him and all that. And they get into a fight. And, of course, all of a sudden there's a scuffle, and Reuben's like, or Randy's like, Let's get out of here. Maybe it's a mountain lion. And of course, it's like their dog, Old Blue. There's, oh, it's just Old Blue. There's your mountain lion. Ugh. It's like when he looks in and sees this grayish white raccoon, it's almost like a trough gutter. It's so large. But I don't know if it's like an old sawmill building or what this is supposed to be. I like that Billy, he just, he doesn't have to heart, you know, it, the raccoon has fooled every dog up and down those hills, and it's just like, no, I'm not gonna kill it, just, you know, let it keep going on, and let people keep trying to, to get this, but, you know, because he, the raccoon outsmarts them all, so it's like, no, I don't want to, like, put an end to this. Yeah, you need to get control of the dogs. So we're gonna get at each other. Exactly. You didn't say now kill it. What are you gonna do if we don't? Go cry to your grandpappy. <laughs> I don't want to fight you, but I will if 
Give it to me. Like there's two of them and one of Billy. You better give me two dollars. What? Give me a dollar. We only took in a whole town full of kids. Two should not be difficult. My God! They are not. Falls on the ass, which was nowhere near him. <laughs> Go get help. Go get help. So, yeah, simultaneously we have Billy being beaten up by the Pritchard boys. We have Dan and Anne going at, well... Fighting the Pritchard's dog, Old Blue, and both things are going on. And, of course, Rainy's like, Reuben, they're killing Old Blue! No, they were not. They were, whatever. And, of course, Reuben knew that Billy had that in his possession, his uh, blade, his axe, whatever you want to call it. And he's like, I'm gonna kill them hounds. And he goes, and Billy, <clears throat> of course, wants to prevent Reuben from attacking his dogs, which I get it. So he trips Reuben. And the way that he, Reuben, falls, he doesn't look like he even falls anywhere on this axe. Of course, you just see, you know, blood kind of trickling from Reuben's the side of his mouth, or he's, he's like, take, you know, the axe is in him, like, literally in his stomach, and I'm sorry for being graphic and stuff like that, and he's just like, take it out, take it out, and of course, he dies, and you know that Billy is feeling an enormous amount of guilt, because he says, I'm the one who tripped him, and now because of this, because of this guilt, Billy is saying, I'm not gonna go, you know, coon hunting ever again. I'm not gonna do that anymore. I'm done. They do go to the funeral. And you do see as the Pritchards are riding away in their, you know, horse cart thing, wagon, whatever, that Reuben is now wearing, or not Reuben, Reuben's the one who died, who fell on the axe. Rainy is the one who is now wearing Reuben's hat. I guess it must have come from the father, so. But Billy tells his mom, he says, Mama, you don't gotta worry no more, because I'm not going hunting again. And that's pretty much that. It is literally raining cats and dogs in, at this funeral. Like, drenched downpouring. And Billy does lay flowers on Reuben's grave. And you just see the look that Reuben's mom gives uh, Jenny, which, I don't know. 
Like, if, if there was a feud of any kind between the Pritchards and... If there wasn't a feud between them, it feels like like there's some serious bad blood there now. I'm surprised they even allowed um, the Colemans at the funeral. Like, I don't want you here. You have no reason to be here. This is very disrespectful. Or something like that. Like, they blame them or whatever. But it's like, no words pass between them at all. Just harsh looks. So this is where the family gets ready to go and Billy brings up to his mom that he is not like you don't have to worry about me anymore because I'm not going hunting ever again. So, it's a nice Sunday, the family is walking to Grandpa's, and of course, Billy's, because this is Jenny's father, Billy's dad is like, you know, your, your dad's up to something, clearly, because, seriously, we're all dressed in our finest, we're going to eat at his place, like, I think he's up to something, I don't know what, but I think he's up to something. So yeah, we get to this dinner. My God, Grandpa went all out, and the fact that <laughs> he started to give more to Jenny, he's like, "No, Papa, no, no, I cannot put any more in me." like, hey, Will, you want any more of this food? He's like, no, no. He's like, putting their hands like, no, thank you. And he's like, hey, kids, how about you? You want to see any more of that pie? Damn, sweet potatoes. It's like, okay, yeah, what's going on here? Like, you normally don't treat us to such a, a lavish dinner. It's like he went out to a KFC and got, like, the biggest bucket of food with umpteen sides and a bunch of biscuits. That food looks delicious. And then just looking at the remains of what's on people's plates. But boy, oh boy, does that look good. And he, Grandpa starts complaining, like, I'm not eating enough to keep a bug alive. I'm going to have to throw all this in the creek. Or you can feed the dogs. I mean, I know dogs shouldn't have table scraps, but they might eat it. <laughs> that sounds like an insult. I'll give Grandpa's food to the dogs. So, Will, Billy's father, says, all right, Grandpa, let's have it. What's on your mind? And <laughs> Grandpa plays dumb. Like, what? What? Well, nothing's, nothing's on my mind. What are you talking about? Canada, you know, faintest family and all that. Dream to a nice Sunday dinner. It's like, no, 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 no. 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 Yeah, and Will says, well, you must have had some purpose for letting us eat, like, this good. Like, what's up with this? Yeah, he says, yeah, well, I wanted Jenny to get out of her kitchen and sample some of my food. And Jenny's like, Papa, will you stop your teasing? And he called us all here for a reason. What's going on? What's on your mind? He's like, I got nothing on my mind, but I got something in my pocket. Yeah. 
Oh, she says, now you got something up your sleeve. And now what is it? And he's like, oh, I got nothing up my sleeve. Just something in my pocket. And it's a little, in his uh, front shirt pocket, he pulls out a slip of paper. So, he unfolds his paper, hands it to Billy. And Billy's just looking at it. And his dad says, well, what does it say, Billy? The way that he's Billy's reading it, it says, championship coon hunt to be held. And the way that he is looking, he's like literally glaring at his grandfather like, you set me up. You set me up. I told you I'm not doing this anymore. I'm done. I'm not going coon hunting ever again. I made that very clear. Of course. Grandpa just just wants to live out his boyhood days. Like, I never got to do this when I was your age, Billy. I sure would. I would love to be a part of this. Yeah. And he he says, well, this is our opportunity. We could enter little Ann and old Dan. And Billy is like, Grandpa, I told you I'm not going hunting again. I'm not entering this. And, of course, Grandpa says, well, Billy, we're not entering you. We're entering the dogs. And then he goes on to talk about how his grandfather does say like those dogs have a right to prove that they're the best coon hunting dogs in all of the state of Oklahoma and not to mention Arkansas you know the other state that borders Texas of course Alice who you know hasn't got many lines asks if all the dogs can enter the contest and her grandpa says no only the very very best yeah he says they have to prove that they're coon hunting marvels so apparently Grandpa has been keeping a record of every coon that Billy's dogs have treed. Yeah, and he took it down to a judge to have it notarized, an affidavit that, uh, I don't know. But Will, uh, Billy's dad cuts him off. That's enough, Grandpa. Those are Billy's dogs. He worked for them. He paid for them. It should be his decision. And Grandpa clearly apologizes. Like, I'm sorry, Billy. I, I'm sorry. Of course, while Jenny is trying to change this, like, hey, girls, would you like to have another piece of Grandpa's pie? And even Will's like, yeah, I'll have a piece too. That's when Billy says, I'll do it. I'll do it. Grandpa's right. Old Dan and Little Ann have a right to prove that they are the best in Oklahoma. Coon hunting dogs in Oklahoma. They are the best. And they, like... They have a right. They got to prove it. They can't take it home for what would I have on my mind? Well, now you must have had some purpose for laying out a speed like this. Keep us all in suspense, Billy. What is it?
Billy, them dogs got a right to prove they're the best coon hounds in the whole state of Oklahoma. Not to mention Arkansas. Can all the dogs around here be in the championship, Grandpa? Not all the dogs, Missy, the best. They got to prove they're coon hunting marbles. Well, I've got a record of every coon at Billy's dog's treat, and I had to take down to the courthouse to old H.B. McCullen. He had to notarize an affidavit. All right, Grandpa. Bless you. None. The dogs belong to Billy. He worked for them. <coughs> it's got to be Billy's decision. Who does she want to give it to? A cat? I think it's, it's somewhere. Tahlequah? I don't know. We see all the people there. You got your automobiles. You got your wagons. You got your horses. You got your different dogs there. You got a donkey that's jumping over a rope. I guess that's a contest. <laughs> a donkey or a mule? I can't tell. I don't think they're the same thing. You know, Billy's in the back with little Ann. Who, I love how she's just kind of hanging on. She's laying there and just hanging off the side like, hey, how's it going? And old, old Dan is just, he is off. He is alert. He is just looking at everything. <laughs> and then, of course, you have uh, Dad and Grandpa up front. It's amazing, like, all these dogs in the scene, they're all, like, no one's getting, none of the dogs are getting aggressive with each other. They, I mean, imagine, like, these dogs would have to have nice, even temperaments to be in this competition like we cannot have the dogs fighting with each other because the main goal is to you know tree and get the uh the hounds or tree and get the uh the the rat the coons the raccoons oh we see some familiar faces from the beginning of the movie mr bellington with his hounds Oh, yeah, because he had said at the beginning of the movie, Ben Kyle said, well, Mr. Bellington had won the championship three years running, and uh, Billy Dad says, oh, maybe he's back for a fourth. And, of course, Grandpa, ever competitive, is like, oh, we'll see about that. And we see, uh, Billy sees another friendly face. It's the sheriff from Tahlequah. Apparently he's getting this whole competition all set up. He's going to be a judge, which is really awesome. Howdy, Sheriff. <laughs> well, well. <laughs> if it isn't a young man who tried to fight every boy in town at the same time. <laughs> Don't tell me these are the same pups. We haven't uh, seen them since they were puppies. They sure turned into fine-looking hounds. <laughs> Thank you. Grandpa, Park, this is Sheriff I told you about from Tahlequah. Howdy, Sheriff. Hope my boy didn't cause your town too much trouble. Oh, well, nothing we didn't recover from. <laughs> The sheriff, uh, he said something about a cash pool. 
Oh, yeah, each contestant puts up $2, and the winner gets to keep it, along with a gold cup. No, of course. In the name of Coleman, Coleman. I suggest you folks get settled as soon as you can. Gonna have the drawings in about 30 minutes. Drawn. We can't have all the hunters going out the same night, so we gotta split them up in three nights. And we're gonna have the draw to see which night who goes out with who. Well, we better get a camp set up here, Billy. Yeah. You gonna be a judge, Sheriff? You might say that. Well, I got some more collecting to do, so I'll see you all later to get together tonight. Well, of course, now it's nighttime. The fun festivities are going on. Um, I think, I believe Billy, had, he had been drawn for the third night. So, of course, this is the first night. And Billy is getting discouraged. Like, oh, my gosh, you hear that person just got umpteen raccoons already. And his grandpa says, Billy, you don't, don't throw in the towel. You haven't even started yet. Relax. It's going to be fine. Of course, you know, Billy's sitting around the fire with the dogs and Grandpa, and you know Grandpa, you know how much he loves to talk about Billy's success with all the raccoons that Billy's got. And you know, the guys, the, the other guys around fire like, Billy, come on, be honest. Your Grandpa pulling our leg. And Billy's like, oh, maybe just a little bit. I'm going one night, Mr. Hatfield. Oh, Grandpa, calm down. My God. Again, he's competitive, but my gosh. Slow your roll, sir. Because, yeah, Ben Kyle, I guess, is just the assistant for Mr. Bellington. And he's like, oh, my gosh. Look at your pups. I, I know you'd get some dogs someday, but I didn't think they'd be so great looking. And then he's like, hey, what night you drew? And Billy says, yeah, third. And Ben Kyle says, oh, well, we drew Miss uh, second. So, and he says, good luck. And he says how Mr. Bellington has got his dogs in the greatest shape they've ever been in. And, of course, Grandpa is all like, well, Billy's dogs can free any coon from here to, here to Arkansas. And blah, blah. I'm like, dude. Hey, Quinnels. How you doing? Well, here comes the sheriff with some news about how many uh, coons have now been gotten by the hunters and Billy immediately starts to get discouraged. It's like, dude, you haven't even started yet. Don't get discouraged now. Because if you think about it, it's like three nights and Billy's is going to be the very last night. And I mean, you can imagine him here like, oh, this person's got this many. This person's got this money. We haven't even started yet. I mean, I can understand where it would be easy to get discouraged at that. Really? I don't know, little grandpa. There's some mighty fine hounds there. 
I know, but you're gonna lick him, Billy. You're gonna lick him. Lick him, Billy. So yeah, I mean, poor Billy, dude, it's gonna be all right, man. And then, of course, adult Billy comes on and says how well his dogs work together. It's just uncanny that first night of hunting. And Billy says, you know, he felt certain that they would definitely make the finals. My dogs work together in a scale that was uncanny that first night. I felt certain we would make the Uh, let's find out who's going to make the finals. I, I barely got four. Grandpa holds up like four, I think. Four of the, coo the, the raccoon skins. Give me your attention, everybody. Now, the eliminations are over. And the hunters are going to compete <laughs> in the finals. Are Sam Bellington. Oh, of course. <laughs> Carl Brown. Oh, yeah. That was the first guy. And Billy Coleman. Of course. Billy. There looks like there's not a court there. <laughs> the hounds that bring back the most coon skins by morning is going to get the gold cup. Not to mention the cash pool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, now it's going to be a big night. So you contestants best rest your dogs and yourselves. All right, that's it. Good luck to you. <laughs> So I like that Billy does this. This is a sportsman-like thing to do. He goes and he shakes hands with a competitor and wishes him luck. And the thing is, I mean, yes, Mr. Bellington does say thank you, but he's like, I'm not relying on luck. I'm relying on the best pair of hounds I've ever owned and ever trained. It's like, dude, you could have just said good luck and left it at that. But then again, I guess very, it's a competition, you're competitive, you're going to be talking big and whatnot. And the, like Mr. Kyle said at the beginning of the movie, the guy's already won three competitions for the last three years. So, all right, the final night. Let's see how this goes. Of course, the night that they're going, it's really windy. It's just the weather's turning. You know, I, I can imagine it's going to be a big storm. And I can imagine whether it's like, do we want to turn in? The storm is just going to probably get out of control. And Billy's like, I think they got the wind of another, you know. And his dad's like, all right, let him go. You do see lightning in the skies. Like, yes, the storm is pretty much upon them. They're running through the woods. Only one of them seems to have a lantern. And, you know, Grandpa's not so spry anymore. He's getting up there. And, of course, he's trying to follow. He's at the very 
back and everything. It's like, yeah. So it's rainy and windy so much in the lightning that the horses, the horse carriage just, they they get out of there. Like, boom, bye. Horses are not going to stay put. So you're pretty much stuck in the woods now. But yeah, it's rainy and it's very, very strong, high, loud winds. They realize that the buggy is not there. The horses are gone. And even Grandpa's like, well, can you hear the hounds? Like, no, not through this wind. Of course, they're really wondering, should we just call it off? Should we just go in? And Billy's like, well, no. I'm sure they're closer than we think. He's saying, you know, you probably, you can't, you can't hear them because of the wind. And his dad's like, look, Billy, a man can freeze to death in this kind of winter. Uh, weather, whatever. <laughs> what time of year is this supposed to be? I mean, I get it's Oklahoma, but... What time of year is this? Honestly, it looks like a mixture of rain and sleet. And, of course, Billy says, your dogs will probably give up and want to come in. And Billy says, no, Dad. Old Dan would die before he left an old raccoon in a tree. Old Dan is that dedicated. So I think, yeah, we do hear the dogs in the back. Like, okay, so they are somewhere. This is where they're running. And Grandpa says, hey, slow down. I'm not that young no more. Of course, we go back to camp, and we hear some of the guys come into the tent, and they're asking, well, how did Mr. Bellington do? And Ben Kyle says, well, we got three until the storm blew in, and then we just kind of had to give up. Yeah, and they're saying, well, what about, um, you know, Billy Coleman? And, you know, this one guy's like, well, if I know that kid, he's not going to give up. He's going to stay out there with the dogs until they get something. <laughs> It's dark. I don't think Grandpa has a lantern. He's, you know, the wind is very, very strong. He's calling for Billy. He's calling for his dad. It's just no one can hear him. He's like, he's kind of like almost lost in the woods. Like, he can't tell which direction to go. And of course, with the ground being wet and stuff, and he's running, he slips, he falls, goes down an embankment, and he's knocked out cold. It's almost like he hits like a, tr like a tree or something. I mean, he goes down this embankment with leaves and trees and everything is <clears throat> okay so clearly it's gotta be <sighs> i'm trying to think is it late late fall like late october november because i'm seeing snow it's like rain and snow mix like sleet almost and the thing is billy and his dad and the sheriff are following the dogs they have no idea that grandpa is not with them yet surprise the dogs have caught three raccoons in a tree three mind you and then they look around and it's like well where's grandpa like okay we need to go look for them we need to go find grandpa and billy's getting the dogs to like come on come on let's go let's go and billy's dad says billy these dogs aren't gonna leave this tree until these raccoons are not in it anymore and Billy says, well, they will leave for Grandpa. And he's telling him, like, come on, come on, let's go, let's go. The dogs will find him! 
<laughs> okay, there they go. Go find Grandpa. Good dogs. So they do find Grandpa, and they help him get up. Turns out, I guess he's got, like, a broken leg or something, because it's the next day, and... The reveal of who won the coon hunting competition is revealed. Probably figured he wasn't gonna win, so he's off getting stuff ready to go. Oh, you gotta get out on the, all the sponsors. Now we've come to the moment we've all been waiting for. Presentation of this beautiful gold cup. Now I declare the winner of the 20th annual 7th District Coon Hunt to be Sam Dunnington. Of course. Sam? <laughs> no one's clapping for him because it's like every year, every year this guy wins. What's the point of competing? Yeah, he doesn't feel right about it. Oh, good on you, Billy. He's clapping. Good for you. Good sportsmanlike conduct. That's good. That shows good character. <laughs> Thank you, young man. That was a sportsmanlike thing for you to do. I know how you feel about winning this cup. Because I know how you feel about your dogs. Now, his dogs treat three coons. And he had to give up and go find his grandfather. Now, those hounds might have got those three coons, and then again, they might not have. But that's not the point. The point is, I don't want my dogs <laughs> winning a championship that wasn't theirs clear. That is good sportsmanship. I declare Billy Coleman and his fine pair of red bones the champions and winners of the Gold Cup. <laughs> good for him! Oh! Good for him. That is amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he already won three years before, so come on. There we go. <laughs> hey. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, it fills up the cup. <gasps> oh, dogs, you can't eat money. You can't eat paper money. <laughs> I 
trading for. Enough money to move us lock, stock, and barrel of Tulsa. Take over Uncle Fred's feet business. Yeah, I figure we'll be able to go over spring. You're, uh, you're not having second thoughts, are you? About leaving? <laughs> How are we going to be able to tell him? I mean, we can't take these dogs from these hills and what they've been bred to do. It'd be like putting a man in prison for the rest of his life. And it'd break Billy's heart to leave him behind. Brother's always grandpa. <laughs> What's grandpa got to do with it? Billy and the dogs, they could stay with grandpa for a while. Besides, he could use some help over at the store anyway. And separate our family? <laughs> I'm not going to hear of that. So, yeah, Mr. Bellington surprises everyone. Well, I don't think anyone's surprised that this guy uh, wins a competition for the fourth time. But he surprises everybody by giving up his cup and the winnings to Billy. Because he says, look, he treed three coons last night. And his they had to let them go because they had to go help his grandpa because his grandpa was injured. He says, you know, his dogs might have gotten him and they might not have, but he says it wasn't fair, you know, to win how I did. This just doesn't seem like it was really earned, I guess maybe earned, if you want to even go that route. So he does. He gives it to Billy and he's like, well, you better be prepared next year because <laughs> me and my dogs are going to beat the Tail off your red bones or whatever, you know, red bone coon hounds and all that. <laughs> and it's just, yeah, the money that, because at the beginning of the movie, Will had told Ben Kyle, he said, well, yeah, my Uncle Fred, we're hoping to make him an offer for his business one day, which is located in Tulsa. So the money that they had been praying for finally arrived with that cash pool. They said, this is the money that you've been praying for, that we've been dreaming of. We finally can go to Tulsa and make Uncle Fred an offer on his feed store. And, of course, Jenny really does not want to separate, you know, Billy from his dogs, you know, and take the dogs to Tulsa, which is probably more city life than it is country life. It's like, these dogs were bred to hunt. And it's like, if you take the dogs away from that, then what? are they going to be other than house dogs? These are working dogs. They have to work, and that's, you know, what they do. And then Billy's dad suggests, well, there's always Grandpa. You know, Billy could stay, help with the store. And, of course, Jenny doesn't want to hear, like, I don't want to split up my family. So, of course... You know, Jenny's been praying about that. And in a way, this coming up, her prayers are going to be answered yet again. It's not the greatest way for the prayers to be It is sad, sad and everything. But remember that mountain lion from the beginning? Makes a reappearance. Billy goes out with his dogs and they face that mountain lion. And... Old Dan jumps in and, and protects Billy from being attacked by that mountain lion. And luckily, Billy jumps in there and 
kills a mountain lion with the axe. However, old Dan didn't fare so well. And his attack, he got very, very injured by that mountain lion. So now Billy has to take old Dan home in hopes that, you know, mom with her sewing needle can stitch old Dan up. The winning of the gold cup brought me and my dogs even closer than before. We became an inseparable team. And although I'd always known their love for me was great, I never realized how deep it went until the night of their greatest sacrifice as we hunted together in the cyclone timber country. What do you see out there? <laughs> I don't see anything. Yeah, okay, high enough, I guess. Yeah. Oh, it jumps at Billy, that mountain lion does. <laughs> Both of the dogs are going at the mountain lion. gets that axe. He's going to have a clear shot to jump in there and get it. Veterinarian. Poor little Anne. It's like, that's her brother. That's her. <sighs> they lost him. He's gone. Oh, Dan. always gets to me. Dan, old Dan sacrificed his life for the love of his boy. 
And like I said, Billy's parents do what they can, but again, they're not veterinarians. All they have is what water and maybe a needle and some thread to try to sew this dog back together. And, you know, Billy's saying, you know, he, he saved my life. And, you know, you know, Billy's dad's like, so we're doing the best we can. You know, he's, he's, yeah, and even the mom's like, I've never seen such a wound like this. Sadly, unfortunately, probably lost a lot of blood, too, and old Dan doesn't make it. Because they stop what they're doing and they look at old Dan. It's like, he's gone. And they're burying old Dan, and they all turn to go, and Lil Ann, that's her brother. That's her brother, and, you know, she has a bond. You know, she had a bond that was her... And she, she just stays out there. She stays out there by his, his grave. She, she doesn't want to go inside. And she basically, and even, you know, Billy says, you know, at least I had, you know, my heart, you know, broke for old Dan, but I still had my little Anne. And it's like, Billy would put food down in front of her. She would not eat. She was just too heartbroken. And even his dad says, it just seems like the life is just gone out of her. So, yeah, the mountain lion did um, a real job on old Dan, like, basically ripping him open. And Billy had to put, you know, old Dan's insides but that were on the outside back inside of him. And, of course, the mom had to go and, you know, clean that up. And But, unfortunately, you know, they just he did not, he didn't make it. And little Anne, I guess, was a little easier to take care of. She wasn't hurt nearly as badly, but it's just, oh my gosh. I just, and you feel bad, not just for Billy, but like I said, it's like little Anne lost a part of herself, her other half. And she doesn't know how to go on without her brother. So, yeah, they all turn to go, and little Anne just lays on top of her brother's grave. And Billy's like, come on, little Anne, let's go. And she just, you know, she lays there. Her heart's broken. So Billy goes and instead of just leaving her there to work, you know, through her grief and everything, he just picks her up and takes her back to the house. It was hard to make myself believe that old Dan was dead. The pain was almost more than I could stand. But as the days went by... I began to feel grateful that I still had my little hand. Come on, little girl. Please eat. <laughs> the life seems to have just gone out of her.
scream by him. He's gonna scream. She gone? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Why did I have to lose you too, little girl? I prayed for both of my dogs. Now both of my dogs are dead. Your mother's had some prayers too, son. Now because of your dogs. And prayers have been answered. <laughs> your father and I knew how hard it would be to separate you from your dogs. Why, we even thought about maybe leaving you with your grandpa for a while. But I guess the Lord doesn't like to see family split up. a proper resting box for land. So Billy comes out of the house. He's looking for little Anne and he finds her laying next to old Dan's grave. And Billy's dad was right. It's like the life literally just seeped out of her. Because Billy goes over to her and lays, you know, his head upon her head and just holds her and then realizes she's gone. And I'm just like, wow. that The fact that a dog can literally die from heartache and sadness. Like, she basically wasn't eating, probably wasn't drinking water, probably wouldn't, you know. And it just, it, it breaks my heart. And he, he says... I prayed for both my dogs and now both my dogs are dead. And of course that's when Billy says, says, well, son, your moms have been praying too. And she says, well, we even had thought about leaving you with your grandpa for a little bit. And she says, but apparently the Lord doesn't like to see families split up. And it just, oh my goodness, it just breaks my heart that this is just a, a lesson that he learns. So, yeah, they decide to sell the house and go to Tulsa and buy Uncle Fred's feed store, whatever it is exactly, general store, I don't know. But, of course, before they officially leave, Billy wants to stop and say a goodbye to old Dan and little Anne. And upon arrival, he makes a discovery. And he screams for Mama and Papa. And everyone like, get over here, come here, quick, quick, hurry. And upon their discovery, there is a red fern that has grown up between the graves of old Dan and little Anne. Do you think God made him for all good dogs? I'm sure he did, son. Only, it's much more beautiful than it is here. 
just where I told you. If only we could take a picture. Maybe it's God's way of explaining to Billy what I was doing. Oh, I bet. I bet it is. been back to the Ozarks. All I have left are my dreams and memories. But someday, if God is willing, I'd like to go back and walk again in the hills I knew as a boy. And I'd like to touch the heart that's carved in an old sycamore tree that says Dan and Ann. And I'll look for that sacred spot by the river where the red fern grows. well <laughs> i didn't want it to be over four hours but unfortunately it is so that is the movie review i hope you enjoyed it i am going to read just a smidge from a couple pieces in the book mainly the ending of the book and kind of see if that's a smidge different than the movie so i'm going to start here from where Unfortunately, old Dan doesn't make it when Mama and Papa are trying to save him. And Billy mentions about how... I'll just read Okay. The way your dogs are cut up, Papa said, it must have been a terrible fight. It was, Papa. I never saw anything like it. Little Ann wouldn't have fought the lion if it hadn't been for old Dan. All she was doing was helping him. 
He wouldn't quit. He just stayed right in there till the end. I even had to prise Jaws loose from the lion's throat after the lion was dead. Glancing at old Dan, Papa said, It's in his blood, Billy. He's a hunting dog, and the best one I ever saw. He only has two loves, you and hunting. That's all he knows. If it hadn't been for them, Papa, I said, I probably wouldn't be here now. What do you mean, Mama said, you wouldn't be here now. I told them how the lion had left at me and how my dogs had gotten between him and me. They were so close together, I said. When they came up off the ground, they looked just like one. There was a moaning sigh from Mama. She covered her face and hands and started crying. I don't know. I just don't know. She sobbed. To think how close you came to being killed, I don't think I can stand anymore. Now, now, Papa said, as he walked over and put his arms around her. Don't go all to pieces. It's all over. Let's just be thankful and do our best for old Dan. You think he'll die, Papa? I asked. I don't know, Billy, Papa said, shaking his head. He's lost an awful lot of blood, and he's a mighty sick dog. All we can do now is wait and see. Our wait wasn't long. My dog's breathing grew faster and faster. There was a terrible rattling in his throat. I knew down... I knelt down and laid his head in my lap. Old Dan must have known he was dying just before he drew one last sigh and a feeble thump of his tail. His friendly gray eyes closed forever. At first, I couldn't believe my dog was dead. I started talking to him. Please don't die, Dan, I said. Don't leave me now. I looked to Mama for help. Her face was as white as the bark on a sycamore tree, and the hurt in her eyes tore at my heart. She opened her mouth to say something, but words wouldn't come out. Feeling as cold as an arctic wind, I got up and stumbled to a chair. Mama came over and said something. Her words were only a murmur in my ears. Very gently, Papa picked up old Dan in his arms and carried him out on the porch. When he came back in the house, he said, Well... We did all we could do, but I guess it wasn't enough. I had never seen my father and mother look so tired and weary as I did on that night. I knew they wanted to comfort me, but didn't know what to say. Papa tried. Billy, he said, I wouldn't think too much about this if I were you. It's not good to hurt like that. I believe I'd just try to forget it. Besides, you still have little Anne. I wasn't even thinking about little Anne at that moment. I knew she was all right. I'm thankful that I still have her, I said. But how can I forget old Dan? He gave his life for me. That's what he did. Just laid down his life for me. How can I ever forget something like that? Mama said, it's been a terrible night for all of us. Let's go to bed and try to get some rest. Maybe we'll all feel better tomorrow. No, Mama, I said. You and Papa go on to sleep. I think I'll stay up for a while. I couldn't sleep anyway. Mama started to protest, but Papa shook his head. Arm in arm, they walked from the room. Long after my mother and father had retired, I sat by the fire trying to think and couldn't. I felt numb all over. I knew my dog was dead, but I couldn't believe it. I didn't want to. One day they were both alive and happy. Then that night, just like that, one of them was dead. I didn't know how long I had been sitting there when... I heard a noise out on the porch. I got up, walked over to the door, and listened. It came again, a low whimper and a scratchy sound. I could think of only one thing that could have made that noise. It had to be my dog. 
He wasn't dead. He had come back to life. With a pounding heart, I opened the door and stepped out on the porch. What I saw was more than I could stand. The noise I had heard had been made by little Anne. All her life, she had slept by old Dan's side, and although he was dead, she had left the doghouse and come back to the porch and snuggled up close to his side. She looked up at me and whimpered. I couldn't stand it. I didn't know I was running until I tripped and fell. I got to my feet and ran on and on, down through our fields of shocked corn, until I fell face down on the river's bank. There, in the gray shadows of a breaking dawn, I cried until I could cry no more. The churning of gray squirrel squirrels and the bright morning sun told me it was daylight. I got to my feet and walked back to the house. Coming up through our barn lot, I saw my father feeding our stock. He came over and said, breakfast is about ready. I don't want any breakfast, Papa, I said. I'm not hungry, and I have a job to do. I have to bury my dog. I'll tell you what, he said. I'm not going to be very busy today, so let's have a good breakfast, and then I'll help you. No, Papa, I said. I'll take care of it. You go and eat breakfast. Tell Mama I'm not hungry. I saw a hurt look in my father's eyes. Shaking his head, he turned and walked away. From rough pine slabs, I made a box for my dog. It was a crude box, but it was the best I could do. With strips of burlap and corn shucks, I padded the inside. Up on the hillside, at the foot of a beautiful red oak, I dug his grave. That's where the wild mountain flowers would grow in the spring. I laid him anyway. Or I laid him away. I had a purpose in burying my dog up there on the hillside. It was a beautiful spot. From there, one could see the country for miles, the long white crooked line of the river, the tall thick timber of the bottoms, the sycamore, birch, and box elder. I thought perhaps that on moonlight, moonlit nights, old Dan would be able to hear the deep voices of the hounds as they rolled out of the river bottoms of the frosty on the frosty air. After the last shovel of dirt was padded in place, I sat down and let my mind drift back through the years. I thought of the old KC baking powder can, and the first time I saw my pups in the box at the depot. I thought of the fifty dollars, the nickels and dimes, and the fishermen and blackberry patches. I looked at his grave with tears in my eyes. I voiced the, these words. You were worth it, old friend. And a thousand times over. In my heart, I knew there in the grave lay a man's best friend. Two days later, when I came in from the bottoms, where my father and I were clearing land, my mother said, Billy, you had better look after your dog. She won't eat. I started looking, looking for her. I went to the barn, the corn crib, looked under the porch. I called her name. It was no use. I rounded up my sisters and asked if they'd seen little Anne. The youngest one said she had seen her go down into the garden. I went there, calling her name. She wouldn't answer my call. I was about to give up, and then I saw her. She had wiggled her way far back under the thorny limbs of a blackberry bush in the corner of the garden. I talked to her and tried to coax her out. She wouldn't budge. I got down on my knees and crawled back to her. As I did, she raised her head and looked at me. Her eyes told the story. They weren't the soft gray eyes I had looked into so many times. They were, they were dull and cloudy. There was no fire, no life. I couldn't understand. I carried her back to the house. I offered her food and water. She wouldn't touch it. I noticed how lifeless she was. I thought perhaps she had a wound I had overlooked. I felt and probed with my fingers. I could find nothing. My father came and looked at her. He shook his head and said, Billy, it's no use. The life has gone out of her. She has no will to live. He turned and walked away. 
I couldn't believe it. I couldn't. With eggs and rich cream, I made a liquid. I pried her mouth open and poured it down. She responded to nothing I did. I carried her to the porch and laid her in the same place I had laid the body of old Danny. I covered her with gunny sacks. All through the night, I would get up and check on her. Next morning, I took fresh, warm, fresh milk, and again, I opened her mouth and fed her. It was a miserable day for me. At noon, it was the same. My dog had just given up. There was no will to live. That evening, I came in from the fields, and she was gone. I hurried to my mother. Mama told me she had seen her go up to up the hollow from the house so weak she could hardly stand. Mama had watched her until she had disappeared in the timber. I hurried up the hollow calling her name. I called and called. I went up to the head of it, still calling her name and praying she would come to me. I climbed out onto the flats, looking, searching, and calling. It was no use. My dog was gone. I had a thought, a ray of hope. I just knew I'd find her at the grave of old Dan. I hurried there. I found her lying on her stomach, her hind legs stretched out straight and her front feet folded back under her chest. She had laid her head on his grave. I saw the trail where she had dragged herself there through the leaves. The way she lay there, I thought she was alive. I called her name. She made no movement. With the last ounce of strength in her body, she had dragged herself to the grave of old Dan. Kneeling down by her side, I reached out and touched her. There was no response, no whimpering, no whimpering cry or friendly wag of her tail. My little dog was dead. I laid her head in my lap and with tear-filled eyes gazed up into the heavens in a choking voice. I asked, Why did they have to die? Why must I hurt so? What have I done wrong? I heard a voice behind me. It was my mother. She sat down and put her arm around me. You've done no wrong, Billy, she said. I know this seems terrible, and I know how it hurts, but at one time or another, everyone suffers. Even the good Lord suffered while he was here on earth. I know, Mama, I said, but I can't understand. It was bad enough with old, when old Dan died. Now little Anna's gone. Both of them gone, just like that. Billy, you haven't lost your dogs altogether, Mama said. You'll always have their memory. Besides, you can have some more dogs. I re rebelled at this. I don't want any more dogs. I said, I won't ever want another dog. They wouldn't be like old Dan and little Ann. We all feel that way, Billy, she said. I do especially. They fulfilled a prayer that I thought would never be answered. I don't believe in prayers anymore, I said. I pray for my dogs and now look, both of them are dead. Mama was silent for a moment and then in a gentle voice, she said, Billy, Sometimes it's hard to believe that things like this can happen, but there's always an answer. When you're older, you'll understand better. No, I won't, I said. I don't care if I'm a hundred years old. I'll never understand why my dogs had to die. As if she were talking to someone far away, I heard her voice, her say in a low voice. I don't know what to say. I don't. I can't seem to find the right words. Looking up to her face, I saw that her eyes were flooded with tears. Mama, please don't cry. I didn't mean what I said. I know you didn't, she said, as she, she squeezed me up tight. It's just your way of fighting back. I heard the voice of my father calling us from the house. Come now, Mama said. I have supper ready, and, when, and your father wants to talk to you. I think when you've heard what he has to say, you'll feel better. I can't leave little Anne like this, Mama, 
I said. It'll be cold tonight. I think I'll carry her back to the house. No, I don't think you should do that. Your sisters would go all to pieces. Let's make her comfortable here. Raking some dead leaves into a pile, she picked up little Anne and laid her in them. Taking off my coat, I spread it over her body. I dreaded to think of what I had to do on the morrow. My father and sisters were waiting for us on the porch. Mama told them the sad story. My sisters broke down and started crying. They ran to Mama and buried their faces in her long cotton dress. Papa came over and laid his hand, his hand on my shoulder. Billy, he said, there are times in a boy's life when he has to stand up like a man. This is one of those times. I know what you're going through and how it hurts. But there's always an answer. The good Lord has a reason for everything he does. There couldn't be any reason for my dogs to die, Papa. There just couldn't. They're, they hadn't done anything wrong. Papa glanced at Mama. Getting no help from her, he said, It's getting cold out here. Let's go in the house. I have something to show you. Guess what we're having for supper, Mama said as she turned tend to the house. Your favorite, Billy, sweet potato pie. You'll like that, won't you? I nodded my head, but my heart wasn't in it. Papa not, didn't follow us into the kitchen. He turned and entered his bedroom. When he came into the room, he had a small shoebox in his hand. I recognized the box by the bright blue ribbon tied around it. Mama kept her valuables in it. A silence settled over the room. Walking to the head of the table, Papa set the box down and started untying the ribbon. His hands were trembling as he fumbled with a knot. With the lid off, he reached in and started lifting out bundles of money. After stacking them in a neat pile, he raised his head and looked straight at me. Billy, he said, you know how your mother has prayed that someday we'd have enough money to move out of these hills and into town so that you children can get an education. I nodded my head. Well, he said in a low voice, because of your dogs, her prayers have been answered. This is the money earned by old Dan and little Anne. I've managed to make the farm feed us and clothe us, and I've saved every cent of your furs have brought us. We now have enough. Isn't it wonderful? It's just like a miracle. I think it's a miracle. I think it is a miracle, Papa said. Remember, Billy said a prayer when he asked for his pups, and then there were your prayers. Billy got his pups. Through those dogs, your prayers were answered. Yes, I'm sure it's a miracle. If he gave them to me, then why did he take them away, I asked. I think there's an answer for that, too, Papa said. You see, Billy, your mom and I had decided not to separate you from your dogs. We knew how much you loved them, and we decided that when we moved to town, we'd leave you here with your grandpa for a while. He needs help anyway, but I guess the good Lord didn't want that to happen. He doesn't like to see families split up. That's why they were taken away. I knew my father was a firm believer in faith. To him, everything that happened was the will of God, and in his Bible, he could always find the answers. Papa could see that his talk had done very little, had very little effect on me. With a sorrowful look on his face, he sat down and said, now let us give thanks for our food and for all the wonderful things God has done for us. I'll say a special prayer and ask him to help Billy. I barely heard what Papa said. During the meal, I could tell that no one was enjoying their food. As soon as it was over, I went to my room and lay down on the bed. Mama came in. Why don't you go to bed, she said. You'll get a good night's sleep. You'll feel better tomorrow. No, I won't, Mama. I'll have to bury little Anne tomorrow. I know she's said as she turned my covers down i'll help you if you want me to no mama i said i don't want anyone to help i'd rather do it all by myself billy 
You're always doing things by yourself, Mama said. That's not right. Everyone needs help sometime in his life. I know, Mama, but please, not this time. Ever since my dogs were puppies, we've always been together, just us three. We hunted together and played together. We even went swimming together. Did you know, Mama, that little Anne used to come every night and peek in my window just to see if I was all right? I guess that's why I want to be by myself when I bury her. Now say your prayers and go to sleep. I'm sure you'll feel better in the morning. I didn't feel much like saying any prayers that night. I was hurting too much. Long after the rest of the family had gone to bed, I lay staring into the darkness, trying to think and not able to. Sometime in the night, I got up, tiptoed to my window, and looked at my doghouse. It looked so lonely and empty sitting there in the moonlight. I could see that the door was slightly ajar. I thought of the many times I had laid in my bed and listened to the squeaking of the door as my dogs went in and out. I didn't know I was crying until I felt the tears roll down my cheeks. Mama must have heard me get up. She came in and put her arms around me. Billy, she said. She said in a quavering voice, you'll just have to stop this. You're going to make yourself sick, and I don't think I can stand any more of it. I can't, Mama. It hurts so much. I, I just can't. I don't want you to feel bad just because I do. I can't help it, Billy, she said. Come now and get back in bed. I'm afraid you'll catch cold. After she had tucked me in, she sat on the bed for a while, as if she were talking to the darkness. I heard her say, If only there was some way I could help, something I could do. No one can help, Mama, I said. No one can bring my dogs back. I know, she said, but as she got up to leave the room, there must be something. There just has to be. After Mom left the room, I buried my face in my pillow and cried myself to sleep. The next morning, I made another box. It was smaller than the first one. Each nail I drove in the rough pine boards caused the knot in my throat to get bigger and bigger. My sisters came to help. They stood it for a while. Then, with tears streaming, they ran for the house. I buried little Anne by the side of old Dan. I knew there was... That was where she wanted to be. I also buried a part of my life along with my dog. Remembering a sandstone ledge I had seen while prowling the woods, I went there. I picked out a nice stone and carried it back to the graves. Then, with painstaking care, I carved their names deep in its red surface. As I stood looking at the two graves, I tried hard to understand some of the things my father had told me, but I couldn't. I was still hurting and still had that empty feeling. I went to Mama and had a talk with her. Mama, I asked, do you think God made a heaven for all good dogs? Yes, she said. I'm sure he did. Do you think he made a place for dogs to hunt? You know, just like we have here on our place with mountains and sycamore trees and rivers and cornfields and old rail fences, do you think he did? From what, I, from what I've read in the good book, Billy, she said, he put far more things up there than we have here. Yes, I'm sure he did. I was thinking this over. When Mama came up to me and started tucking my shirt in, Do you feel better now? she asked. It still hurts, Mama, I said as I buried my face in her dress, but I do feel a little better. I'm glad, she said as she patted my head. I don't like to see my little boy hurt like this. The following spring, we left the Ozarks. The day we moved, I thought everyone would be sad, but just the opposite. Mama seemed to be the happiest one of all. I could hear her laughing and joking with my sisters as they packed things. She had a glow in her eyes I had never seen before, and it made me good, made me feel good. 
I even noticed a change in Papa. He didn't have that whipped look on his face anymore. He was in high spirits as we carried the furniture out to the wagon, to our wagon. After the last item we was stored in the wagon, Papa helped Mama to the spring seat and we were ready to go. Papa, would you mind waiting a few minutes, I asked. I'd like to say goodbye to my dogs. <coughs> sure, he said, smiling. We have plenty of time. Go right ahead. Nearing the graves, I saw something different. It looked like a wild bush had grown up, practically covering the two little mounds. It made me angry to think that an old bush would dare grow so close to the graves. I took out my knife, intending to cut it down. When I walked up close enough to see what it was, I sucked in a mouthful of air and stopped. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. There had been the there, between the graves, a beautiful red fern had sprung up from the rich mountain soil. It was fully two feet tall, and its long red leaves had reached out in rainbow arcs, curved over the graves of my dogs. I heard the old Indian legend about the red fern, how little Indian boy and girl were lost in a blizzard and had frozen to death. In the spring, when they were found, a beautiful red fern had grown up between their body, their two bodies. The story went on to say that only an angel could plant the seeds of a red fern and that they never died. Where one grew, that spot was sacred. Remembering the meaning of the legend, I turned and started hollering for Mama. Mama! Mama! I shouted. Come here and hurry. You won't believe it. In a frightened voice, she shouted back. What is it, Billy? Are you all right? I'm all right, Mama. But hurry. You just won't believe it. Holding her skirt, long skirt in her hand and with a frightened look on her face, Mama came puffing up the hillside. Close behind her came Papa and my sisters. What is it, Billy? Mama asked in a scared voice. Are you all right? Look, I said, pointing at the red fern. Staring wide-eyed, Mama gasped and covered her mouth with, a, with her hand. I heard her almost in a whisper. Oh, it's a red fern, a sacred red fern. She w walked over and very tenderly started fingering the long red leaves. In an odd voice, she said, All my life I've wanted to see one. Now I have. It's almost unbelievable. Don't touch it, Mama, my older sister whispered. It was planted by an angel. Mama smiled and asked, Have you heard the legend? Yes, Mama. Grandpa told me the story, and I believe it too. Or Grandma told me the story, and I believe it too. With a serious look on his face, Papa said, These hills are full of legends. Up until now, I've never paid much attention to them, but now I don't know. Perhaps there's something to the legend of the Red Fern. Maybe this is God's way of helping Billy understand why his dogs died. I'm sure it is, Papa, I said, and I do understand. I feel different now, and I don't hurt anymore. Come, Mama said. Let's go back to the wagon. Billy wants to be alone with his dogs for a while. Just as they turned to leave, I heard Papa murmur in a low voice, Wonderful indeed is the work of our Lord. As I stood looking at the two graves, I noticed things I hadn't seen before. Wild violets, rooster heads, and mountain daisies had completely covered the two little mounds. A summer breeze gushed down from the rugged hills. I felt its warm caress as it fanned my face. It hummed a tune in the underbrush and rustled the leaves on the huge red oak. The red fern wavered and danced to the music of the hills. Taking off my cap, I bowed my head. In a choking voice, I said, Goodbye, old Dan and little Anne. I'll never forget you. And this I know, 
If God made room in heaven for all good dogs, I know he made a special place for you. With a heavy heart, I turned and walked away. I knew that as long as I lived, I'd never forget the two little graves and the sacred red fern. Not far from our home, the road wound its way up and over a hill. At the top, Papa stopped the team. We all stood and looked back. It was a beautiful sight, one I'll never forget. As I stood and looked at the home of my birth, it looked sad and lonely. There was no spiral of lazy blue smoke twisting the rock chimney, no white leghorn hen chasing a June bug, no horse or cow standing with <clears throat> head down and tail twitching. I saw a head left the door to the barn loft open. A tuft of hay hung out. It wavered gently in the warm summer breeze. Something scurried across the vacant yard and disappeared under the barn. It was Sammy, our house cat. I heard my little sister say in a choking voice, Mommy, we forgot Sammy. There was no answer. To the left, I could see our fields and the zigzag lines of rail fences. Further down, I could see the shimmering whiteness of the tall sycamores. My vision blurred as this as the tears came to my eyes. The sorrowful silence was broken by my mother's voice. She asked, Billy, can you see it? See what, Mama? I asked. The red fern, she said. My oldest sister spoke up. I can see it, she said. Rubbing my eyes, I looked to the hillside above our home. There it stood in all its wild beauty, a waving red banner in a carpet of green. It seemed to be saying goodbye, and don't worry, for I'll be here always. Hearing a sniffling, I turned around. My sis three sisters had started crying. Mama said something to Papa. I heard the jingle of the trace change as they tightened in the single trees. Our wagon moved on. I have never been back to the Ozarks. All I have left are my dreams and memories. But if God is willing, someday I'd like to go back. Back to those beautiful hills. I'd like to walk again on the trails I walked in my boyhood days. Once again, I'd like to face a mountain breeze and smell the wonderful scent of the red buds and the pawpaws and the dogwoods. With my hands, I'd like to caress the cool white bark of the sycamore. I'd like to take a two, I'd like to walk far back in the flinty hills and search for a souvenir, an old double-bitted axe stuck deep in the side of a white oak tree. I know the handle has long since rotted away with time. Perhaps the rusty frame of a coal oil lantern still hangs there on the blade. I'd like to see the old home place, the barn and the rail fences. I'd like to pause under the beautiful red oaks where my sisters and I played in our childhood. I'd like to walk up the hillside to the graves of my dogs. I'm sure the red fern has grown and has completely covered the little, the two little mounds. I know it is still there, hiding its secret beneath those long red leaves. But it wouldn't be hidden from me for part of my, from me for part of my life is buried there too. Yes, I know it is still there, for in my heart I believe the legend of the sacred red fern. And that is the end of the book. Alright, I hope you all enjoyed me covering the movie and a good percentage of the book. And I do plan at some point to cover the sequel to Where the Red Fern Grows, the movie. Have a great week, everybody. If you'd like to send an email to the podcast, you can do so at lbomwonderyearspodcast at gmail.com or punkypower at pbpodcast. <laughs> punkypowerpbpodcast at gmail.com. All right. Bye-bye, everyone.